What is up, people, and thank you so much for listening in to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. Really cool show lined up for you guys today. We're talking Joel Embiid and the city of Philadelphia and what the deal is with that relationship. It seems to have soured over the past... It's been sour, I think, all season, but it feels like it may be reached a boiling point a little bit uh, this past weekend. Things may have... He may have started to write the ship uh, with their recent win over the Clippers, but... It seems like we're going to be in for a pretty unpredictable end to the season for the Sixers. So we'll break that all down. We'll also talk about the Knicks because, uh, per usual, they find themselves in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. Uh, last week, we had a very in-depth, long conversation about um, their their expected new president, Leon Rose. One of the other guys that are part of the fold now, Stephen Stout, uh, music executive, made some comments that raised a lot of eyebrows. So we'll break those down. And... And Major League Baseball is looking at a a change that would certainly transform the way we think about postseason for Major League Baseball, and really, I think postseason sports. Period. You know, it's the proposal that's that's being floated out there is one of the more unique ones I've ever seen. So I'm excited to see what myself and Kendall has to say. Kendall is here as well. He'll be doing Kendall's court uh, at the end of the show. Kendall, what's up, dude? We look forward to talking about today. Yeah, I mean, obviously that Nick stuff is going to be interesting, uh, interesting indeed. Um, I have some uh, some interesting NFL draft stuff to talk about at the end uh, for people that are interested about uh, who may be uh, going number one in this draft. It may not be who we think. Um, we'll see. But um, it's been a, it's been an interesting week. Uh, obviously, we had the 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 great. Well, depending on who you ask, the interesting fight between John Jones and uh, Dominic Reyes out in Houston, where a lot of people, including myself, feel like Dominic Reyes got uh, robbed of the of the championship <laughs> against John Jones. We had that same night we had the the incredible Duke North Carolina game yeah. as well. So you know, it was an interesting week of uh, of um, of sports, and we also had the inaugurational the inaugural. Uh, weekend of yeah. the XFL. Yeah. So you know a lot of a lot of interesting stuff, but you know not only things on the field and on and in the octagon and on the court, but some stuff off the court that we'll be discussing. Yeah, this was a pretty it was a pretty dope sports weekend, which is you know often not the case when you're talking about week post Super Bowl. But I think that a lot of people were really invested in what was happening. Um, and so the NBA. This is the ti- this is the time where the NBA gets bad. Yeah, it gets almost unwatchable. This particular week, because like the trade deadlines pass, you know, guys, the All Star game is already set, so guys are done with their whole. I'm gonna play, I'm gonna average forty to make the All Star game. Like that period is gone. Now we're just getting to the guys that are like, let's just get the All Star break. You know? What yeah, I mean? the guys are just trying to get the Cabo for the week. Yeah, they're just trying to get the Cabo, and you know, you see it. You know, yeah. watch some of these games. The defense is. If not there, so yeah, especially the teams um, that were eliminated in you know January and December. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah I, them guys can't wait to get on vacation. Oh yeah, yeah. So, right. so for for that reason, you know, it's not many things to talk about on the court with the NBA, but we as we know, the NBA stays uh, stays uh, petty and stays you know uh, dramatic <laughs> off it in many many cases. So we'll have, we have still have plenty to talk about. Uh, with the association. Yeah, so let's get right to it, man. So 
Uh, as I said at the top of the show, the love affair between Joel Embiid and the city of Philadelphia appears to be on the rocks. After the team heard booze during a home game this past weekend, Embiid uh, elected to shush the crowd uh, multiple times and telling them to, quote, shut the F up during a win over the Bulls. Um, this obviously garnered a lot of attention. A lot of fans and a lot of media members were not happy with Embiid uh, in a season that's been a disappointing one for the Sixers. Uh, turning on the fans, I guess, in, in a way that they thought was disrespectful. Uh, after that whole incident, he posted a very cryptic tweet where he quoted the Dark Knight famous line, uh, either, uh, was it, uh, you live, either die a hero or live long enough, you see yourself become the villain. It's, it's there you a, go. You know, classic, uh, you know, Harvey Dent line in that movie. Basically, it seems like referring to himself. Uh, it showed him, you know, during that same game, which he shushed the crowd. And during that whole social media whatever you want to call it it wasn't a meltdown but that social media moment i guess you would say he had an interesting interesting exchange with one jimmy butler who was his former teammate with the sixers and now of course plays the miami heat where jimmy seemed to be recruiting joel to south beach he posted something along the lines of you know you know you know there is a place where villains are welcome and and then joel joel and b said you know you're right or you know you know you're always right and that that <laughs> that made people very nervous. I mean, I'll add my Uber driver on Tuesday as I'm going in my way back into the city talking about, you know, yeah, so I guess B's on his way out, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I guess because of the way the NBA is, like, I think these fans, I think kind of, they just kind of, they see these tea leaves and they like, all right, well, I guess, you know, we got to start to prepare for when this is over. And I guess as a Knicks fan, I, I even I felt it, you know, when Chris Porzingis is just, you know, tweeting Los Angeles Clippers. Like, you kind of know this probably ain't going to end well at a certain point, even if things, you know, cool off for a while. So that raised a lot of eyebrows. He did come back against the Clippers, a very high-profile game. A lot of people wanted to see how you play. He played great. Um, he got into it with Marcus Morris. He's seen in many ways to be like the <laughs> Joel Embiid. And that is what he I, says he's trying to do what's up as man? ej as, as two you know we're both you're a Celt- i'm a Celtics fan you're a knicks fan yeah. we both had marcus morris on our team and i i i i gotta give a, i gotta give credit to ryan Rosillo from the ringer he was the first one to, to say this but he was like the morris twins lead the league in pushing and shoving guys when, you, when you're down 10 in the last minute of a game oh yeah you know <laughs> in the first half oh you're down, yeah man like, you know they 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 don't do it when they're in the lead or they're uh you know in a hotly contested game. <laughs> they do it when they're down. I'm like, yep. Yeah, you could always you can always count that Marcus Morris technical foul as the team's going on an eight zero run. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> putting the game away. You can count that Marcus Morris to throw I'm an sure elbow. It more often than not with the Knicks, considering you know that was happening very game. often. Yeah, you can you always count that you know Marcus Morris bouncing the guy bouncing the ball off someone's head. <laughs> you yep. know you, you you always count on that, and that's of course. You know the Clippers first, first Clippers game fans. of the Clippers, second game of the Clipper. Yeah, Clippers fans now now knowing the plight of Knicks fans and uh, Pistons fans and Celtics fans and Suns fans. Suns fans, and he's played on a lot of teams at this point. And no disrespect to Mook, Mook can play, but uh, not necessarily the, the most cool headed uh, uh, player on the court. But um, but Joel played great, and and you know after the game they kind of asked him what you know what his deal is, and he said you know. At the end of the day, he's going to get back to being the old Joel and B. He's going to go back to being more of a troll. And as in his words, he said he's going to be the quote good a hole, and that uh, that we're going. To, this is going to be how he is. You know, I think he he spoke about the idea that he felt like he came into this year trying to be more serious and more focused. 
and it ends up being a detriment to himself and his play and also his entire team. So, Kendall, what did you just make of this entire situation with Joel Embiid? Yeah, so, I mean, the Embiid thing is very interesting because he is, you know, obviously, I think there are certain people and certain players that play better in fun environments and, you know, like, can't be super serious 24-7. Um, I mean, I think another big man that, that was that's like that and was like that is Dwight Howard, you know, like... Mm. We saw Dwight Howard go to the Lakers in a similar situation and kind of, you know, him and Kobe didn't mesh in part because Dwight couldn't play that serious role. And when he tried to, it it affected his play. And now we see him on the back of the Lakers with LeBron and he's not more effective because he's he's not in his prime, but he's he's been more... Uh, he's playing, giving more positive energy to the team because the team's a more fun team to play on. You know, like, I wouldn't say LeBron's a more fun player, more fun guy to play with, but he's, you know, a more fun personality probably to play with than Kobe was. So, you know, that kind of stuff is, you know, that's where, like, Joel Embiid, I think, thrives in being that that character that he is. Um, I don't think that him being serious or him being, you know, more playful is like, I don't think that's the reason why the Sixers are the, one of the worst teams in basketball on the road and the best team, the best team in basketball at home. That inconsistency has very little to do with Joel Embiid's demeanor, I would imagine. But, um, and, you know, uh, Embiid's demeanor has nothing to do with Simmons still not, still refusing to take threes or, Al Horford, you know, making, you know, max money, but they might put him on the bench. Yeah, now he's on the bench for the first time since his rookie year. You know, like those things have nothing to do with Embiid's demeanor. Um, I do think that this is a step in the right direction because Embiid's play has also not been great, and some of that does have to do with Embiid's demeanor. You would imagine. Um, Obviously, there's still issues with him floating around three point line, him not being in the best shape. What, what and what have you, but uh, you hope that this is a step in the right direction. Um, but this Philly team has bigger problems, and that Clippers win was nice. But I, like this is a team that I don't I don't care much about what they can do at home, right? Because at the end of the day, I know they can win home games. They're the best home team in the league right now. But it's about winning games on the road. They haven't been able to do that at a at a respectable level, and at the last time I checked, a lot of times, especially if you're going to be the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference, you got to win a lot of road games to, to make to win a championship, at least some. And then right now, they can't win any. So um, that's step number one to proving to proving to people, proving to Sixers fans, proving to the rest of the league that they are an actual threat to be uh, taken seriously. Yeah, I do agree that you know. We don't, you don't want to take one win and blow it out of proportion, particularly when the one win really doesn't change the outlook of what this team's issue has been all year. There's, the Sixers have had zero issue winning at home. They've only lost two games at home. They've beaten very good teams at home. So while, yes, things were not going well, they clearly needed a momentum shift. 
it's not surprising that when they got to their home court, they were able to start to turn the tide back around. So I agree with you that, that you know, them winning a home game in which Paul George is 3 for 15, you know, you know, Josh Richardson outplays George, you know, Paul George down the stretch and, 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 and lights it up. Like, and now, you know me, I love Josh Richardson, but I, I'm taking that as an outlier rather that, than that, thinking that that's going to be, you know, something that we can look forward to for the, that, the, that season, screams, the postseason. That, that screams like game three of a playoff series where you've gotten blown out the first two games and you got to kind of prove that you're still alive. Yeah, you still barely won. Like, despite, <laughs> right, right. despite all of these, you know, clearly. I mean, Ben Simmons had a triple, 26-point triple-double. I mean, like, you know, like, they, they played a great game. I'm not taking that away from them. They had to play that way. But they've played well at home all season. It doesn't really change any of the other issues with the team. The fact that the spacing doesn't work. Uh, Joel Embiid made two of his five threes in this game, so that was better. But he shot poorly from three. And because uh, Simmons, like you said, is unable or unwilling to take jump shots, it allows Joel to float around, you know, around the perimeter way too much. I do like that, you know, he seems to have gotten those three-point numbers a little bit under control over these past few games. But, I mean, I saw a shot chart, Kendall, of Simmons and Embiid next to each other. I forgot who I might have been watching SVP. And, I mean, Simmons looks like a shot shot chart with all the shots he's taking. And Joel Embiid looks like a James Harden shot chart. Like it just—you never would have imagined that your point guard would be on the left side and your center would be on the right side. When we looked at these two charts; it looks ridiculous, and it, it's not—it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see why this team seems to have a ceiling in its development. You just can't win with that style of play, you know. No. And 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 to me, I know people are saying, "Well, maybe the regular season doesn't really matter." And at the end of the day, if they're still built to beat the team like uh, the Bucks. Then what? Didn't all is all this just you know doesn't doesn't really matter? You know if they they're still well put to be a team like the Raptors, it does all this really matter that they're having these struggles in the postseason? I mean, in the regular season. One, I'd say yes because uh, they have to go on the road right now in the postseason. Yeah. They will have to f- beat one of those teams on the road and then serve and then hold serve at home every game they play against those very very good teams in Eastern Conference near the top. And and number two. I think that for a team that hasn't done anything, I feel, I don't feel that benefit of that being like, okay, you guys can post the regular season. I know in the regular season, postseason, you guys are going to be there. I don't know that. I, 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 I like, what have they, At what have these players showed me yeah. to suggest that I can just say, okay, postseason, y'all going to be cool? Because that, that, the that, only reason I, I why they were in that seven game series last year was because of Jimmy Butler. He's not there anymore. And, and B has had issues in the postseason and in this regular season. Now he's trying. I think he's to me this Embiid situation very much reminiscent of Shaq. I think I've seen Shaq do this kind of thing where like sometimes season ain't going the way it's going, or you know just for whatever reason just things might not be going as smoothly with the Lakers. I remember Shaq would just create a controversy. Controversy didn't matter. Didn't make it. Didn't make any sense. He would say he would do it sometimes to just liven things up, get the team motivated, or just get himself motivated. He 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 would he he he's admitted. Not only during when he was playing, but he would say that even since his retirement. He would say, oh, yeah, I would say stuff just to shake it up. I kind of feel like that's what Joel is, do- Joel is doing. Um, I know he he listened to Charles and Shaq who were saying he's been playing soft, which is true. Um, I, I think that he's kind of taking from their playbook, being like, look, this what we're doing right now ain't working. So I might as well shake it up. So why, am I, why don't I just act like a fool with social media again? 
why don't I talk about going to Miami and let's see what happens. Like, I don't think that he's actually very upset with the city of Philadelphia, but I think he's probably just tired of the season. Like the season just for the Sixers, it just it just feels like I don't know. It's crazy for a team to be twenty five and two at home, and to me, just feel like the season is just like them going through the motions. Like they, they're doing okay. They'll get to the playoffs. They may win a round, and they'll get and, and they'll get bounced in the second round fairly easily. And we'll be talking about the same thing next offseason. Well, is Sims going to get a jump shot? And well, should we trade them? Like, and that's not what this team signed up for when they started the season. I included had them in the NBA championship. This this has been a a, a colossal failure to me. And it's interesting because, you know, like my question, like because right now. They're the six seed. Celtics are the three seed. If you'd have told me in November or December the Celtics would be playing the Sixers in the first round, whether it be home court advantage or not, I'd be like, man, we we we're we're fighting an uphill battle because we have no big men. Who's guarding Embiid? Who's guarding Horford? You know, who's guarding Simmons? Like, I have a lot of questions. But I mean, the last time we played them, and obviously you don't go off one game because they beat us the first three times. But the last time we played them a couple weeks ago or last week. I mean, we demolished those guys in a way that now, I, and the way we've played and the way the, the Sixers have played, I feel a lot better about having to play that team in a playoff series. And I imagine Toronto and certainly Milwaukee also feel really good about playing this team in a playoff series with home court advantage. I mean, I guess they would have to hope that they're playing Indiana or or Miami. But even then, you know, that's still not a still not a cakewalk, so... And I don't even know if they hope to play Miami, but I, I do feel like they match up fairly well against Miami. But but I don't know. I, I feel like this is a this is a Sixers team that, and like you said, they may figure it out for a series because I've seen this before. I've, I know I've seen this before because I saw it last year with the Celtics. You have all this turmoil. You may turn it around. You may have some great performances here or there. And you say, all right, we'll be all right when the playoffs start. This is all regular season drama. And, you know, Al Horford's seen this <laughs> he's seen this two years in a row now, so he right. he knows the act, which is why he's talking. About, it was why he's saying a lot of crazy stuff in the media. But you know, you say, "Oh, we'll turn it around once the play- we'll turn it on when the playoffs start." We sweep the the Indiana Pacers, win game one against Milwaukee, first sign of trouble, and the team crumbles in the postseason, the same way they would do in the regular season. And that's what you fear will happen to the Sixers team. They could beat the Celtics in a, in a seven game series. They could beat. Miami in a seven-game series. But what's going to happen when they run into them, Giannis? And then, oh, maybe that goes well. Maybe you upset them. Why don't you run into Toronto again? Like, that's why it just seems so improbable. Like, I don't think this team has the mental makeup to win three playoff series to get to an NBA Finals. And that's alarming. You know, like, yeah. I like there are teams, I think I think all those other three or four teams in the, in the Eastern Conference, I can see doing that. Milwaukee being the most likely. But... I don't think this team has that makeup, and that's what's unfortunate. And that's and then, crazy because Kendall, you're talking about two all perennial All Star players at this point with Simmons and Embiid. If you're telling me yeah. that you don't have that guy on your roster that you feel like can lead you to multiple playoff series wins, then you guys are really taking a long look at that roster. I've been one of the biggest ones that have been holding out, saying no, I would not trade them. No, I would not trade them. But I mean, if you feel this way at this point with Embiid in year like five or six and Simmons in year Seven. four or whatever, like like at a certain point, like you gotta you gotta make a decision. 
And and you can't just hope, okay, the East will, everybody else will kind of just peter out and eventually like it'll be out turn. As we've seen, teams that do that normally, it never works out for them. You know, you can't just assume, oh, everybody will just get old or get hurt or they'll just, it'll, eventually it'll just be our turn. And it, it's, I'm telling you, I don't know. I, I'm not saying that, not, I don't want to completely write them off because the talent is there. But, I mean, Elton Brand and, and Brett Brown, they got a lot to answer for with the roster they put together and the, and the style of play they're, they're trying to, to play. I mean, it's, it's been a mess. They like, won't be the ones answering it by next season, I don't I would imagine. But, I mean, you're yeah, I mean, and Brett Brown, look, I, I mean, him going, I think, is at this point, unless they have a long run inevitable and deserve, not to say they, I don't think he's some awful coach, but to me, and I've said this about a lot of coaches, and the more I watch Brett Brown, I think he's just a guy. I, I like, I, and I say that about certain coaches that I feel like had you put another semi-competent coach in that same position, the record and the outlook on the team would be the same. Like, I think we all have been waiting for whether or not Brett Brown was special once he got talent. Because everybody knew X and those wise he was very well respected. I mean, we are now, again, three or four years in this in this iteration of this team being a playoff contender. And he ain't special. He ain't. Like, I, there's nothing I've seen, not from X and O standpoint, not from a motivational standpoint, um, not from a player, you know, player, you know, relationship standpoint. Nothing about him is special. And I don't think if you just threw in some other guy, Dave Yeager, Mike Woodson, it could have been any one of those guys and their team would be the same. Like, I think they got to try to find a guy who's going to take this team to the next level. I have no idea who that guy is, but um, but I don't think it's going to work with this group. And I don't, do you, do you think that they're really, that Jim uh, Embiid really is upset? Do you think that this is like him? Well, yes, that's what I was going to get to. Making his first, first clear notice that maybe he's tired of Philly. Because he's trying to say that, no, I love Philly and, you know, right, right, where it's right. a tough city and they, I can take it, they can take it too. Like, that's what he's trying to spin it. But do you think that that's how he feels? Yeah, I feel like when this is all said and done, I think Embiid is the next guy that we see get traded. The next superstar guy. And, I mean, you, we may pause to call him a superstar. But, he, I mean, when he's on, he's a top 10 player in the league. That's not all the time. Either, but um, I think it's... I think it's very likely that I don't say very likely, but I think it's very possible, you know, given the the landscape of the league. I mean, look, it's not, you know, because again, we we can see the way this is going. They're not going to win the championship. They probably won't get to the Eastern Conference Finals if those things don't happen. I mean, we saw how he took last year's exit, which was not great. If those things happen again, it's going to be because of the same reasons. And Bead underperforms, and or Ben Simmons can't hit a jump shot or doesn't take a jump shot. And if those things happen again for the third year in a row, that's going to that's gonna weigh on the entire city of Philadelphia. It's going to weigh heavy on Joel Embiid. It's going to weigh heavy on Ben Simmons. It's going to weigh heavy on Elton Brand, Josh Harris, uh, Brett Brown. And a change will be made. And it, I could almost see it being a mutual departure. And that's that's where... I, that's where this is an interesting deal because if it's a mutual deal, like where do you go if you're if you're Philadelphia and where do you go if you're if you're Joel Embiid? Because we talk about all the time, these teams are are going to be looking at trying to you know 
or this team is going to be looking at trying to move off of one of these two guys. And B seems like the logical guy to move at this point. And yeah, I think because of health and, talk, and, and age, yeah. And we we talk about Miami as a possibility, but I think the team most likely to be in the game for Joel Embiid is none other than the team Don't that just hired his agent. Don't say the it. New York Knicks. Oh god, here we go. The New York Knicks. Oh, I can't will do this again, man. Hundred percent. Be the first team to call. And be probably be the team that ends up with Joel Embiid if and when he asks for a trade. You heard it. It's here you heard it here first, Kendall. I mean, I don't, don't think I don't people. think it's a coincidence. The Knicks hire his agent, and then a week later, the guy is making is subtweeting on on social media about potentially wanting out. And who's going to be the team? Because look, there are going to be teams that have assets, obviously. Mm-hmm. But for but. And I guess Embiid is signed long term, so the teams are not going to be afraid to trade for him. But like, what's the team that's going to make the most sense? Like, if you're the Knicks, you have a top five pick, hopefully, because of the way they're playing, you know, it, we'll see if it, if it ends up that way. But you have probably a top five pick. Got Mitchell Robinson. You got multiple. You got multiple first round picks. Um, I think I, I mean I think they can make a run at at, at Joel Embiid. Whether or not it'll be worth it or not, it's another conversation. But what do they really have to to go crazy about anyway? It's funny. It's, on the one side, on the one hand, Joel Embiid's brash personality is a hand and glove fit with New York City. On the other hand, Joel Embiid's propensity to not be in the correct playing shape is like the antithesis of New York City. So, like, and, and when I think about the fit with New York. Like, on the one hand, like, the fans would love him because just the reason why Philly fans have loved him because it was just how brash he is, how he's not afraid to stand up for himself, how he's not afraid to talk crazy. Like, New York, we like that. But on the other hand, like, I could already see the headlines of him talking about how much he's weighing. Is he in the right shape? Like, that will also really turn you off to this fan base and to this media core. So, I mean, I get it. I, I, I get it. I think that, yes, I agree. If Joel Embiid was on the market, the Knicks would be one of the teams front and center trying to get him. Um, I, I mean, I think to me the best fit for him would be Phoenix. I you know me. I feel like there's nothing wrong with DeAndre Ayton, but I just feel like. DeAndre Ayton's really balling, man. I mean, he is playing Phoenix, great. He is playing great, but I just I, feel I like. If, Joel Embiid. But I don't know if his timeline, as great as he's playing, I don't know if his timeline still matches with Devin Booker. And I may have to go to Booker at some point and say, yo, fam, I am trying to win. Like, I don't know how many times I can just draft, uh, you know, a Cam Johnson for me. <laughs> how many times he's going to let me do How many times he's going to let me do that before I, I make any kind of move to show that I really am trying to win? And my, my getting rid of Phoenix and I, I, I see would allow you to do that. I guess my thing is that, like, what is the difference? Like, what is the real impact of trading Aiton for MB? Like, how much better do you get versus you get a, a, collecting your assets better. up to try and get someone else, trying to get a third guy to play with those two guys? Because they don't have that third, third guy. That third guy is not going to be the difference maker Joel Embiid is. Joel Embiid, I'm not, look, we've talked about how he's not making a big enough difference in Phoenix, but Joel Embiid is a different kind of level of player from right now where DeAndre Aiton is. And if you pair him with a guy who and be and be Aiden so cheap, these rookie wage scales, man. I mean, you got him for what two more years? 
Yeah, but you, I have, mean, to, you, you have to performance enhancing drugs. You might, yeah, and that's that's that, that's that's a that's alarming. And, I mean, look, and, 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 and really, remember again, I, sometimes it'll. And while I I think that if they traded for Embiid, they're competing for a playoff spot. Like today, if they did it today, they would be competing for a playoff spot. At the same time, you also got to think sometimes it, it may feel a little irrational when you think about your future. But if you have a, a star who's 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 dis who has who's who's not happy, dissatisfied with his current situation. Sometimes you gotta make moves just to keep that guy at this point. Like right. that's the other thing you get to think about too. It might not necessarily always be about okay, what's the biggest, smartest thing to do basketball X the nose and if everything breaks right for us. Yeah, maybe keeping Aiden on a cheap deal and maybe uh, taking on a contract that maybe nobody would want but could certainly help you and that guy becomes your third option. Maybe in that perfect world, yeah, the Suns would be in a really interesting position next year. But how many times do those things break right for the team like the Phoenix Suns? They almost never do. So you might be like, yo, Joel Embiid's on the market, and I have by far the guy who will probably be the best chip available if a guy that came available became available like Embiid. I think you got to take a take a swing. I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think you can tell Devin Booker, sorry, I'm keeping a 21 year old center, and I'm not going to give you an all, a perennial All Star. Only other Good luck trying to get to the AC next year. From the Philly side, getting Aiton doesn't solve anything because now you have the same issue they had with Embiid because Aiton is going to be a jump shooting big man because Ben Simmons doesn't want to shoot the ball. And that's the issue. This team needs to be crafted either through Embiid primarily or through Simmons primarily. And we see what both things look like. They both look great. You know, Simmons is typically in the lineup. It's rarely he's not in the lineup. But, like, we've seen their offense without Simmons on the floor, and, like, Embiid is, it can dominate. Or when they run the ball, when they play the ball through Embiid, he can be dominant. Mm-hmm. But, and we've seen them, obviously, without Simmons, I mean, without Embiid. We see what the team looks like, how dynamic Simmons can be, how dynamic they are offensively, how Simmons is obviously one of the best defensive players in the league right now. Like, you don't want to say Simmons has the honest potential, but that's a guy that you look at obviously as somebody who also has their team crafted to, crafted around them. Like I don't know if Giannis and Embiid would have would have been a great fit two or three years ago, and that's kind of where Simmons is at right now. Uh, obviously, Giannis can play with Embiid now because Giannis is, a, is, a, is arguably the best player in the league, so he can play with anybody. But I guess the difference I think to me in terms of why you say okay, what's the difference because that's a good point with Embiid and Aiden in terms of their comparisons. I guess. Because I think part of the issue, like the issue, I agree, it stems from Simmons' inability to shoot. But part of the issue also is Joel Embiid, in order to be effective, just demands a certain amount of touches because of how good he is. Like if I have Aiton, I could now run my offense more through, uh, through Simmons with a guy who will be way more comfortable getting garbage buckets, getting the uh, attacking the offensive glass, not necessarily having to draw up post ups. Or making Being them, obviously, or making them shoot threes. Like I can, he can really kind of just be, just another big man, and like, just, and, yeah, and him doing that, like he'll be way better than Embiid at that because Embiid is not that kind of player. So right. he'll be more of like a modern day center. So I, I, I can make the argument that like he's a better fit, even if he's not a better player. I guess my thing in is the long was, run, he's not as good as Embiid, and they would take a step back. But if you got rid of Embiid in that salary. And you're able to meet, maybe put real shooters around Simmons again. Maybe you have a team that ends up being a lot more dangerous than, than we would have anticipated with Embiid and Simmons together. That's, that's a, a, a theory. It's not. 
I'm not 100% sure. But that's why like, I think Philly all, would think about it. If, if I'm Philly and I'm trading Embiid, I'm calling out Washington and saying, yo, give me Bradley Beal and we'll give you Joel Embiid. And I think Washington would have to consider it, considering their timeline is all messed up. Like, they're not going to compete for anything right now with Bradley Beal. Like, it's just kind of. Is Embiid that much older than Bradley Younger than Bradley Beal? He really isn't when you think about it. Beal's younger than. Embiid's 25. uh, I believe he's 27. So, or maybe 26. Bradley Beal's 26. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm I'm watching. I'm not doing that. Why am I thinking a guy with, you know, injury history, can't stay in shape? I got Bradley Beal. Fans love him, community loves him. Why am I doing that deal? I'm hanging up. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trading Bradley Beal for Joel Embiid. Like I don't think it makes sense for them. I mean, look, Bradley Beal isn't very happy right now. We also have to consider that. I mean, you know, I mean, do he, we? He, he wants to stay. He signed long term. He says he wants to stay, but he also says he hates losing and he hates. He he's dreading the situation right now. So I don't know, but. I'm just saying that's the call I would make if I'm. You think Joel Embiid's right. gonna be happy playing, <laughs> watching the game blown out every <laughs> every couple of games? Oh, like he, sometimes you gotta deal with you know the devil I so, know maybe the be- that better than the devil I don't know. So my question is, if you're the Knicks, yeah, would you be willing to trade R.J. Barrett for Joel Embiid? Um, it's a long pause. You'd have to think about it. Because that's probably what you. Because to, I mean, to me, I feel like picks. yeah. To me, I feel I like, like if I can, yeah, you'd have to consider it because Embiid is, is too good a player, and the Knicks are so More bad. <laughs> like you just you'd have to consider it. You have to because RJ and I love RJ. He's you know my favorite guy on the team right now as a Knicks fan, but he's still a question mark. I mean, I don't I I don't see the season to see. Oh, he's absolutely going to be a superstar. I see a guy who has potential to be a really good player, maybe an all-star still, but jury's still out. He's 19 years old. Like, you know, like, so, which we'll get to Stephen Stout like, probably in a minute or so. But, like, when you think about, like, that ideal and that thought process, you'd have to, you'd have to consider it. Because the Knicks have shown that they have, they've had no ability to attract free agents. So, if, you, if a star player came... A guy who you know for a fact is a star player. If he came available, and a guy who, I'm not, we've clearly shown that he's had an issue with getting his team to the playoff, past three or deep into the playoffs. But we saw when he was on the floor, even when those six or teams were tanking, like he, they were winning when he was out there early yeah, on. Right. Like he's a, he's an immediate difference maker. So if they get next to Joel Embiid, they're competitive. He's, I think he's that kind of player. I think he's the kind of player if you have him on your team. You're competing, you're competing for a playoff spot. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not saying you're automatically going to make it because it doesn't depend on who's on the roster. But, like, he's good enough to at least get you close enough to where you're competing yeah, for a he, playoff spot. Yeah, he's an automatic 35 wins by Right, now. and I think the Knicks may have to take that. Like, and it's not exciting, but, like, you may have to take that for now and say, okay, if I can hold on to maybe just one of my picks from in the near future. And now having Embiid, maybe I'm able to get one more free agent after these other contracts come up. And you know, I you know I'm not crazy about the you know the Star Wars game, but if if I do think the Knicks would be in position to possibly get him, because I think Embiid would want to be a Nick because of all the Leon Rose ties you you mentioned. But I don't I don't so I don't know if is Victor Oladipo CAA. I've never seen him listed as CAA. That doesn't mean he isn't though. 
feel like he was. Like, I feel I, like I've seen a, I've seen a million articles about uh, <laughs> all about CAA and like he's never come up, but that doesn't mean he isn't. I don't uh, believe he. Is. In 2016, he changed agents. I think he maybe used to be with CAA. Uh, nope, no, he signed with CAA in 2016. Oh, he signed with Leon Rose. So, Why does he never get mentioned amongst the players that? Because I, I only mentioned that because he's gonna be a free agent. He never gets mentioned amongst the guys that are CAA. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's kind of I mean he's a quiet super, okay, superstar. He's a quiet all star. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they were mentioning like DeAndre Russell. Who was not He was an all star, but he was not quiet. So, <laughs> but yeah, Russell. Nothing about DeAndre Russell is quiet. Trust me. Yes, no. Uh, uh, let, let, you but, still, wait, sorry, one more thing. Well, you know, yeah, I was gonna say, but I only bring him up to say, you know, he's gonna be a free agent soon. You know, if we're talking about, yeah, we'll talk about the Knicks, but if you're talking about guys that you could pair with Joel Embiid, you know, he is somebody the Knicks could target. You got M- Old Depot Embiid. I mean, it's not a probably not a championship team, but it's the way it's the way you go and you become res- respectable, and then you're. Maybe that leads you to the next step of then getting the superstar, superstar guys. So, and also getting NB maybe gets you Giannis for all we know. So I don't know, but we'll talk about the Knicks. Yeah, I mean the, the Knicks would definitely have to consider it. Right now, they just got to consider just going a week without embarrassing themselves because they apparently did it again. And I don't know to be fair if they tried it out, Steve Stout, but. Man, could this not have gone any worse than it did? So, some people Who's may Steve not. Stout? Yeah. So, Steve Stout, if you're if you're a music fan, if you're a hip hop fan in particular, Steve Stout is a long time, um, long time music executive. He's been with Interscope Records. He's been with. Uh, um, he, he's a businessman, entrepreneur. Um, I'm forgetting the other. I think I want to say Sony was the other label yeah, he was Sony. with. Yeah. Uh, he's. He's one of those guys where if you love, love, love hip-hop and R&B, you, you know who Steve Stout is. Like, but, like, he's not, like, A-list famous, which is why, like, some of his commentary about why he's working with the Knicks was... Foolish. Very telling and very concerning about his role there. But, anyway, Stout, like I said, this uh, music executive, he's a consultant for the Knicks. They're calling him a brand consultant. And and you know, he's a he's a great businessman and a great entrepreneur. Anybody who again who knows hip hop knows that knows what Steve Stout has done in that industry. Obviously sports and basketball is different. And we learned very quickly that it is very different because he elected to go on ESPN's first take. It's unclear if they requested him, if he requested to go on I don't know how he got on it, but nonetheless, even A. Smith claims that that they reached out to him, or he reached out to. I should say, Stout reached out to first take, which is already begins. Which that's step one of why this was all a train wreck. But that if that's true, then that's automatically Knicks are really in a bad spot. Just that alone. So Steve Stout goes out there. He's doing an interview with the Knicks. I don't know why he's doing an interview with the Knicks. They have no president technically. They can't sign the guy they want yet because they need him to kind of decertify as an agent. So there's a process with that, hence why there's this kind of waiting game. And the Knicks front office hasn't said anything since they threw 
Uh, <laughs> David Fisdale under the bus. Literally, no one from the Knicks has spoken to the media almost all season. You know, Knicks fans, they get on the media press court. I think a lot of times it is deserved for how they cover the team. But there's no excuse. It's atrocious how the Knicks organization has just given no explanation, no no quotables, no nothing to the fans about what is going on with this season, what is their direction. They've just been in hiding. There's no other way to describe it. It's, it's, it's been, they've been completely in hiding. That, because then I, 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 wanted, I, I thought about what you just said, and I was like, what do other teams do? And, like, I know as a Celtics fan, like, Danny Ainge is on the radio every week. Like, he's got a weekly radio spot. So, like, if anything happened major with the Celtics, he would have to answer for it. Like, he couldn't he couldn't go in hiding. You know, it's not like he has a press conference every week. But, like, a lot of times, and look, maybe that's, that's a specific example. I don't know what Rob Polinka does in L.A., but, like, it, it, when you have so much going on, so much turmoil in the franchise, it's probably better to say something. Than nothing, but they, they don't want to put their foots in their mouths, which is what happened in this situation. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read the 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 big part, pretty much that really just had people dumbfounded. It was during a conversation about the the his role with the team and where the team sees themselves headed towards the future. So he said, "quote The biggest thing is getting free agents and players to know that this is a place they." Show they show up at. This is where they should be. I think the narrative has been lost, so players haven't come. A free agent hasn't come, and if, if we can so, sort of solve that problem, which I know we will, we have a great chance. We're the most iconic team in the league by far. So I'm a Knicks fan, but I'm like, when he said that, I saw that quote, I was like, okay, iconic Knicks was iconic team by far. <laughs> I mean, come on, I, I don't even know where to begin with that. So okay. All right, but whatever, you know, he's not a sports guy necessarily, so and he's working for the Knicks as a branding guy. So I gave okay, I give him a pass on that. Next thing. New York City is a hub of sports and entertainment. That's how I feel. Okay, I agree. And it started moving around. My job is to bring it back. The Toronto Raptors brought in Drake, right? They brought in Drake to bring that thing. <laughs> the New York <laughs> New York Knicks brought in me. You couldn't even you couldn't I couldn't even say it, man. Me. I couldn't even keep a straight face with it. That 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 I mean, I I heard that line, EJ. I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> There's so many things wrong with that. All right, so first of all, yo, if that if that's the case, then the Knicks are in a sad situation. Now. Very sad. The Knicks, the, the Toronto Raptors got a drink, and the best they could do is Steve Stout. So first come on, of all, fam. So first, he's insinuating that Drake, like. Had much had had played a major role in them winning a championship. I'll give them credit. I think Drake made the Raptors a cool franchise, a, a cool place to be, and a, a franchise that and a city that was never Toronto was never a cool place to be before Drake kind of sure. you know threw himself into the into the into the mix. So I'll give him that credit. That's the only credit I'm giving Drake. Outside of that, Masai Ujiri built that team. He he was the one, and Kawhi he was the one that made the trade for Kawhi Leonard. Who won them a championship? Had nothing to do with Drake. Now, would it be would it be would it be unfair to say Drake wouldn't shouldn't get more than two percent of the credit for the Raptors winning a title? Is that harsh? I would say that because he didn't he didn't he didn't call a play he didn't <laughs> he didn't make a shot. The only he, thing he, I feel like Drake did was create an atmosphere that was probably 
fun. Yes, and enjoyable for the players and the the front and the, and the I, franchise. I, I can't and imagine. I don't. I just. I can't imagine though that Andy, based you know? on the roster they put together and the team they put together, that doesn't mean that it couldn't have been fun without him. Right. Because like, Kawhi Leonard, like, it'd be one thing if like the Raptors then got a superstar that was so closely aligned with Drake. Like, you know, I don't say LeBron, but like somebody that Drake was really cool cool with. You know, even like Devin Booker or somebody. And also, like, that wasn't like Drake's job wasn't to win games. Like that's the wasn't thing. That's game wasn't to get players. Like exactly, his job was just to galvanize the fan base. Exactly, and make them a national brand or a global brand, and that's what they kind of became. But that had nothing to do with them winning a championship. Of course, so, you know. If anything, like if you would have said like Kawhi Leonard stayed because of Drake, I would have said maybe. I don't know, but maybe. But he then left. So I mean, Drake couldn't even help them with that. But I mean, yo, think about okay, no, think about all the New York. I mean, you know, I'm a huge hip hop fan. Think about all the New York hip hop icons we have in this city. And Toronto, Toronto has Drake. He's a hip hop legend. No way he's arguing that. But you're telling me that the Knicks' answer to Drake was Steve Stout. I don't even know what to say to that. I'm literally, I'm speaking to real people like. If Dolan was like, all right, if he was watching what was going on in Toronto, if he was watching what what, what Drake's impact, the, the impact Drake had, you saw, you know, what Maple Leaf Sports was doing and Ujiri was doing, he was like, yeah, let me get, we need somebody like Drake. That'll get people galvanized. There is 0% chance, 0% that Dolan, well, I won't say 0 because Dolan is, is, is a quirky character, 1% chance, there's a 1% chance that Dolan then said, Let's get Steve Stout. He could be our our Drake. Like that's. Not, I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know. That's not I, what I. I I don't want to put anything past Mr. James Dolan. I don't know. I'm not saying that's that's 100 what happened. Think about it, but if Kendall. You were, yeah. If you were if you were Dolan, and you were tasked with that, or somebody if Dolan told you go find us a Drake. I like man. The I guy that finds me, Steve Stout, is not going to have a job. The guy that had the I, guy that I, gives me I, no disrespect to Steve Stout, but I would almost feel embarrassed if I then came to him with Steve Stout. Tell you, the, the guy that brings me Steve Stout is no longer employed. <laughs> if right. I gave him that task and he comes back with Steve Stout, that's the day he's getting his walking papers. So, so my question is, who are the first people that you would imagine could be the next Drake? I mean, before we get into the Steve Stout conversation, I was gonna say I'll answer that question. I was just gonna say if I was coming up with. I need a brand ambassador, which I believe is Drake's official title with the Raptors. Yes, global brand ambassador. Right. Steve Stout. I might have named 200 people before I got to Steve Stout. Oh, certainly. Like, literally, I might have sat down. You told me, name 200 people who could be the Knicks brand ambassador. I would have named 200 people. You could probably come up with a list of 200 guys. Yeah, and I I could definitely come up with a list of 200 people who could do that job. Steve Stout is not on that list. But yes, if we're playing that game, uh, Diddy, um, yep. I mean Chris Rock, Chris Rock, uh, I mean, Trace, Tracy, Tracy Morgan, yeah, Tracy, who's Morgan. a huge Knicks fan. Um, I mean, heck, like a Boogie, uh, ASAP Rocky, <laughs> right? Like just people like who are just more recognizable. Like you know what I'm saying? Like. No, Cardi B, Nicki Minaj, like Fifty Cent. Yeah, come on. I mean, like, yeah, we're yeah, we're talking about Steve Stout 
And look, those are just and those are just musicians. I mean, there are. I mean, Jerry I mean, Seinfeld. But like there are actors, like you said, yeah, Jerry Steinfeld. Like there are actors. There are there are a host of celebrities. There are people probably that aren't even from New York. I mean, I would hire Steve Nate Smith to be a, a brand ambassador before I hired Steve Stout. Yes, I would. He he would he would energize the fan base. Will be Goldberg. I mean, come on. Like I mean, like I, I'm literally just naming random people. But like all these people make would make more sense, which is why what he said was got, crazy. Like, aren't Knicks fans? Like right, everybody in name were all Nick fans. <laughs> you know, you got and, people like that, recognizable Nick fans too. People that we always see at the garden. People that talk about the Knicks all the time. Every person that just named. Like, there, like, and that's the issue is that this guy, and that's it's, it's delusional, and that's what I think he sold Dolan on, and that's what I think Dolan sold himself on. And to be fair to Stout, I think he's talking less from the. I'm going to be sitting courtside and being a you know a Spike Lee like fan, and more of just the I'm going to galvanize the fan base and the brand and change the image of the but franchise. Here's the issue, that's what did on some and and I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm not, again just like Dolan. I'm not going to say that that's 100 what happened. I don't know. I'm not going to put it past him. that interview was horrendous. I'm not going to put it past him that that's what he thought. Because to me, what it does concern me is Stout is used, and that's what this whole issue is. And I'm concerned that this guy is using the Knicks to help his brand, which is how many times we, how many times have we seen free agents use the Knicks to get money from somewhere else or use the Knicks that I threaten going to the Knicks to get to be where they want to be. That's my concern with the whole thing. When you say that they, the Raptors got Drake and therefore I'm here. But let's say that that's not what he meant. And what you what you're saying is what he meant, which is very possible. I do think it's very possible. The concern I have is this guy is supposed to be a branding guru. You don't know how to present your role with the team better than saying the Raptors got Drake, so that's why I'm here. <laughs> I mean, yo, what branding guru doesn't see how nuts that sounds? Like, yeah. that's what's concerning. Is that if his job wasn't branding and marketing, it was, I don't know, anything else. I would say, all right, well, he's out of touch, but I mean, he ain't, his his job isn't to talk for the team and make them look presentable. That's literally his job. <laughs> literally, that's his job to what, what he's supposed to do. And his first statement is, "The Raptors got Drake. Here's Steve Stout." Like, yo, I don't like. I saw that quote and I could not believe it. But then it got worse because then I'm like, all right, well, he thinks he's on the level of Drake in terms of recognizability and stardom and stuff, whatever. And that's why I don't put this up behind Dolan, but past Dolan, because billionaires and millionaires, these guys live in their own worlds. I don't pretend to act like I can assume they think anything, because I will never, I mean, I would love to be a millionaire or billionaire, but in my current iteration of EJ Stewart, I will never understand that mindset and that lifestyle, because it's just so, I'm so removed from it. So I, I, he may think in his head that he is Drake. I, he's a millionaire who's had these unbelievable successes in life. I don't know. I don't. I don't know anything about that lifestyle. But the next quote was the part that really was got ridiculous. So then he says, you know, he he claims that I had nothing to do with the firing of Steve Mills. I'm all about diversity in sports, and you know, I don't like to see you know us be firing black men. And I want to have diversity in our front office again. Now he's he, that was coming. I'm like, all right, what are you talking about with the front office? Like that's what are you talking about? But whatever. Okay, he's saying he didn't want to. You know, fire a black man. That's because there were word coming out that he was a guy that that axed Mills. 
Um, right. <laughs> he said, however, there had to be change, right? So there is change. That change will bring a new coach. Which I, new I thought... I, I, well, not to cut you off, but I, I thought that even that kind of like... He undercut himself by saying that. But there had to be change, right? You know, like... I, and again, he, he, he very strong about he had nothing to do with that, but... I mean, I don't know. I mean, you seem to make it seem like it, it was the right decision, whether or not you had anything to do with it. But I'll let you continue. So he said, so there is change. That change will bring a new coach and new coaches that are going to help develop these young players, right? And it's got some young superstars. You see R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson? <laughs> All right. So, I mean, look, people are, are, are harping on that. I don't think he literally meant. You know, superstar, like, he's got their top 20 players in the league. I, I think he just met these guys are, you know, very talented young players. And, I mean, he, he's not wrong. Those are the two primary Ken, Ken, guys. On Kendall, that team. Kendall, come on. I'm, Steve Stout is a smart man who's watched basketball before. You know what a superstar means. I'm not, I'm but not, yeah, I, I, Kendall, at a certain point, I know I'm saying, I know I'm saying he's a millionaire. I don't want to assume anything. This, just basic things, I feel like, I'm not going to, I don't think the man is an idiot. And to use the word young superstars, to me, that was clearly that that sounded like crazy branding, dude. Like that's what that like to me. I'm not saying that he thinks that those guys superstars. It sounded like guy trying to sell him the Brooklyn Bridge. And like you see these guys, RJ Barrett and these young superstars. Yo, you will not find a better, a bigger proponent for RJ Barrett and Mitchell Barrett Robinson than me. And I saw that and I was like, what is going on? So what is so going if, on if right now? If you would have said instead of young superstars, if you would have said young stars in RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, I don't think he's I don't think he's really that off. And I'm not saying those guys are star players in the landscape of the entire league, but for the Knicks, those are the two primary guys. Again, I think superstar is is a question mark, but I think more or less, I think he's, he's saying those guys could develop into superstars, and they're superstars for us. And Kendall, blah, blah, blah. again, my issue with I this, I'm not this man this. is supposed to be, his expert role with the team is supposed to be, he's able to relay to the fans and the media exactly what the Knicks want to get put out. Like, that's the concern. I, that's why I'm not giving him any rope. That's his job. How are you, how, why are you, and I'm not, like, blaming you, but how are you in this point Trying to say, well, I think what Steve Stott was trying to say was when he said this ridiculous thing. His he's supposed to be an expert at putting out a uh, a talking points and putting out a narrative about the team in the way the team wants that makes them look the best. That's literally again why he's there. Why are you who, who's you know a very smart kid, very good kid, but why are you the guy being like why to make this make more sense because what he said is ridiculous this is what i think he was trying to say he should know what to say that's why he's getting paid probably millions i mean i guess for me it's more like the interview was kind of so crazy that like there are more there are worse things in there to harp on than him misspeaking on whether or not and we, but Kendall, we're talking about the young superstars thing and, you, and while that was ridiculous you're right in the in the in in some instances, again, to me, it's ridiculous somebody who's supposed to present the team in a certain way could say that, but whatever. But also, he's not the, the GM. The, if, the, if, yeah, if the Danny part. Ainge called, if Danny Ainge calls Romeo Langford and Carson Edwards young superstar, I'd be all right. But that's where the issue comes in, Kendall, because you have, the, you have the rumors about him being the reason why Mills left. 
You pointed out that you. you pointed out saying that he says that he that he had nothing to do with that, but then he's saying, but change had to happen. So that leaves you kind of questioning things. And then the, we we're talking about that RJ Barrett thing because it was so ridiculous. We 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 just blew past the lead where he says that they're going to fire the coach. A coach is doing pretty well. Like so now, Steve Stout is is in tune with with personnel decisions. That's literally everyone's worst nightmare. That's following this team, and that's and, and that's where it really like, got ridiculous because, not look, we all knew it was going to be uphill battle for Mike Miller to keep his job as Knicks head coach, but for a guy who's working his ass off, who's getting these guys to play the right way, and is going to be the guy principal for developing guys in their formative years in this last thirty games or so. It's imperative not to just disrespect the man the way that this statement came across. And that leads me to why was he there? Why did you do all this when you're then the Knicks trying to come out with a statement saying Stout is a valuable contributor to the Knicks marketing and branding efforts. He does not speak on behalf of New York Knicks personnel and basketball operations. Any decision regarding the operations of the team will be made by the new president of the Knicks and him having to say, I, in my excitement to defend the Knicks on live TV today, I inadvertently insinuated about Knicks personnel. I look forward to working with the Knicks management to elevate the Knicks uh, brand moving forward. Why that should never is happen. all that happening? Yeah, that should never happen. Like, that That is textbook. Like, if you're running a sports organization, you know, I've, I've, worked, in sports, I've worked in two sports organizations. Like, that is textbook. Like, there are reasons why you can't just get you, you don't you can't just get any general manager or any any front office guy like there's a reason why those guys don't even have like Twitter like a lot of times GMs and stuff don't have Twitter when they do it's very under underused underutilized because like there's a lot of issues tampering obviously and just saying things that can then uh, be decoded as what the team is thinking and. There's a reason why a lot of front office people don't go on television or do media interviews that aren't very particularly crafted out. And it doesn't sound like this was this had any any real thought into whether or not we should do this or not. That's why like, this is so I, absurd to me. Kendall. We don't even know if he told the Knicks he was doing this. He may have. To- he may have. I imagine he did because they introduced him as Knicks brand consultant and stuff Man. like. But like, did the you did the Knicks assuming, PR you have things like, about the Knicks? Yes, and that's the thing. This is it's an assumption. <laughs> I, but, I wouldn't assume anything. <laughs> I'm telling you, as a Knicks fan, I wouldn't department. assume anything that that goes towards the Knicks' favor. And there's a reason why. Look, a lot of times, sports organizations have their PR departments right next to the front office, right next to the operations department. Because a lot of times, these two departments work hand in hand. When something happens, the GM has to say something, or a coach has to say something, the, the PR guy is right there with him, or right there before they get on before they get on to the interview. Was the Knicks PR department even like privy to the fact that he was going to do this interview? Or, what, were, or were they, was the PR director eating lunch, turned on first take, and saw Knicks brand consultant Steve Stout? <laughs> and now has to run back into his office to get ready to prepare for whatever backlash is going to come off this interview. Because, I mean, I, when I, I look, when I saw that he was on first take, 
I knew already. All right, this this, this is a clown. <laughs> this is going to be a mess. Clown. Yeah, I don't be a mess. I didn't even know what he said, but so that right there is the issue. Is you can't just have anybody doing any interview if you're gonna really represent the Knicks and not be. They're the reason why certain people like to stay in the shadows. Steve Stout would have been fine if he would have just stayed in the background, but he wanted to be the Knicks Drake. He wanted to be the Knicks, you know, guy that's out there and, you know, getting the fans energized. But he just, he didn't know, he like, he wasn't privy on what he's allowed to say, what he's, what he's not allowed to say, because he wasn't coached on that. So he then started talking about, oh, yeah, you know, he didn't say, I'm not, you know, Miller's out of here or whatever, or Miller, we're going to fire him. But he may as well have said that, because when you, again, when you decode his, his, his language, when you're talking about, you got to get a new coach in there. The new coach got to do this, that. You know, I'm a fan of Mark Jackson. Like, at this point, it doesn't mean that Leon Rose, when he comes in, is going to fire Mike Miller. He may not. But it means that from Steve Stout, who may or may not represent a portion of the front office, the way he's talking about, I'm going to be a loud voice in the front office. Yeah, then, he said, I'm a part of the team. I'm a part of the team. They're like, I've, got a, lot, I've got a lot of voice. He's like, yeah, I'll be a loud voice. I'm I mean, like, this is crazy. I mean, this is literally contradicting what was actually said in that statement. He's saying, I have a lot of voice. And Knicks are saying, no, you don't. I mean, what's going on? And that's where I go back to the beginning of my, my frustration with this. Is Again, the Knicks have said nothing about this season. They had that one ridiculous weekend press conference that they got blown out by the Cavs where they threw Fizdale under the bus. Fizdale this is not the second coach in a row that they've thrown under the bus. Right, and in this in this sense, it was completely unwarranted. Like, yes. like, it, like it was it was inadvertent, unwarranted. It was I take my my homie, you know, shout out to Josh Macri, um, Nick's Film School. It was an unforced error. Nobody would like literally that meme when it says nothing, and then something does somebody does something crazy. That's what literally what happened. Nothing. Knicks. Steve Stout. I'm the next Drake. Like, no, nobody was talking about the Knicks. Everything, nobody was fine. We had the news last week. It was, we talked about this show. It was mostly well-received. And just out of nowhere, Steve Stout's on TV talking about how they're going to fire the coach. And they got young superstars. And that he's Drake. Like, and that he has a lot of voice in the organization. I mean, what's going on? And that's why... It doesn't make... that. That's what's so frustrating. This team has... Again, these front office people, and you got to include ownership in there... They have decided that it was best to not say anything and to work in the shadows. It's frustrating that when someone finally talks, it's somebody who you clearly didn't want speaking, or at least saying the things he was saying on national TV. And it looks so random and so not put together and so unorganized. I don't think, I, then when you talk about it, they may not have known because I don't know if they let him do that if he tells them. I like if he tells them, yeah, I'm about to, I'm, I, I, you know, I may ESPN wants me on. Yeah, that, I mean, that goes to a long. I don't. Again, I don't know. Like, I don't know if the Knicks PR lets him because I, that's I'm telling you, Kendall. Too, I don't know. It's too dangerous because, but Kendall, I, him, if you put him on MSG, that's a little different. That's, yeah, that's that for that's sure. Tell you, you, you yeah, know, state, like, media, state media exactly. That's state, that's state media. You know, they 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 can kind of craft it a certain way. They can tell them what to ask, like. ESPN first take. I mean, you know, you're gonna be, you're going in the storm. You're going yeah, in the eye of the cooker. storm right there. Exactly. The pressure cooker. So that that's that's not. And then again, you're going on there, and now you have people asking, is he talking from the point of view of Leon Rose? Is he talking there from the point of view of James Dolan? And 
you know, he's talking about, you know, Barrett and Robinson are future superstars or young superstars, what he said. Does that mean that those guys are now untouchable and the rest of the guys on the roster are are free to go or they don't care about them? Does that mean that, you know, if those guys end up getting traded for a superstar, does that mean that, you know, that they now backstabbed those guys? Because they thought <laughs> that you publicly said calling them future superstars or young superstars and then trading them. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why you 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 can't do that like you can't go in public and just start talking nonsense like if they ask you anything but again it's a very big-headed decision right there by steve stock because you have to you have to be smart about if they ask you who's the next coach or what do you think about the situation i know he can't say that's a question for leon because they didn't hire leon rose yet but you got to say that's a question for the next president of basketball operations. You know, I'm, I'm only the brand guy, you know, but. I'm telling you, Kendall, I think all you're saying makes sense. I can't escape the, the idea that perhaps Dolan feeling good about the press he got with, with Rose, feeling good about maybe Stout being a voice that told him this was the move to do and then him getting that free press. Feeling like a guy like Stephen A. Smith, who it's very clear has a relationship with James Dolan. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't seem negative. I feel like all yeah, those things considered, all those things considered, I can see Dolan in a in a sense of feeling himself being like, yeah, let's try out our our new guy to to talk about how these things are going to be turned around and. I can see him totally be. I can see him totally being okay with this. I, I but, really I mean, he can did, he did, he because did, this was because this was no longer your basketball people getting grilled on basketball questions in his head. He didn't see this going this way. I think potentially. I'm not saying this is how it happened. But I see a theory where he says, "I don't think this is going to go that bad." I have a guy who I like in Stephen A. Smith. I have Steve Stott, who's doing a great job so far in his eyes, and and who and I, I guarantee you, Stephen Stout has a relationship with Stephen A. Smith. That is 100% I guarantee you on. Yeah, they, they, they seem to acknowledge that. So, how? what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst? About, the, team is also, playing, the team is playing okay, so you can't even talk about how bad the team has been in the last few weeks. What's the worst that could happen? They, I cannot, I cannot they, deny that. I feel like that could be part of what happened in this. I, because I, I'd be lying. We literally saw the same exact... Uh, the reason why I think this is a plausible theory that you have is we saw... James Dolan employed the same exact strategy last year. Same exactly. Time. Exactly. Mark came out and was like, let me do a random interview with Michael Kett, which yep. I, haven't, I haven't done interviews in years. But let me do a, a random interview just to kind of give a State of the Knicks address. Yep. Tell him, hey, and man, helps on equally, the way. <laughs> equally uh, poorly that time. So it's it's very possible. Um, it, it, one thing that's interesting, this is not necessarily on Steve Stout, but you know, I mean, you mentioned to me, I didn't even know this, but you mentioned to me before the, hand, before the show that, I guess, World Wide West is not actually going to be a part of the front office, which I think is very important. I mean, we'll see what that what that even means, but, because I look, there were there were questions, they, we knew he was going to have a front office job. We didn't know if that meant GM, it didn't sound like it was going to be GM, but you don't know what. Like, cause he has no basketball experience. He has no personnel basketball experience. Where does he even fit in a basketball front office? Like, he's not going to be the director of scouting or the director <laughs> right. of player personnel. Like, where, where would Steve, where would, 
William Wesley fit in a basketball front office. Yeah, Bagman is not a official role <laughs> in an NBA front office. Exactly. So that that's where um, that's where that that always seemed kind of awkward. Now Sham Sharani is saying that he's not going to be a part of, or not expected to be a part of the front office at all. And I mentioned to you that this this I mean he could end up being this could end up being great news for the Knicks because we thought Worldwide West being involved was very positive because of all the connections he had. Yeah. But it's that it's it's that classic adage of like this guy is gonna be way more valuable <laughs> to us not exactly. on the team than yeah. he will be on the team. Because and it could have been even a deal where Leon Rose, because we saw Leon Rose, uh, Worldwide West and Rob Strickland, who they're talking about having a also having a role in the front office potentially. Mm-hmm. They were all they were at you know they were in my neck of the woods at the Leah Cora Center at Temple for Temple's game at SMU. It they so clearly these guys have been you know they they've been cooking up something over the last oh, couple yeah. weeks. Yeah. Look, so yeah. My question is. Did they come to the realization that all right, if we if we do this, like we have to run, we have to realize we can't have all the connections that we have. Like Wes then now can't know every player in the league, every new player, every high school player. Like there's certainly there are barriers to what he can do versus as well as Leon Rose, obviously. I think Leon is fine with that. He can be the president of basketball operations. But they become less powerful as a faction, to use a WWE term. They become less. They become less powerful as a faction with them all restricted by NBA rules. But if West is still the guy on the, I don't say the guy on the inside, but if he's the, if he's still the guy that's that's you know plays on on all plays for all teams more or less, uh, but. You know, is on the on the on the side. He's nudging guys to the Knicks, and he's you know nudging guys towards Leon Rose. That could be more beneficial for every for all parties. Um, the, the other thing that's interesting is that uh, David Falk, Michael Jordan's agent, Patrick Ewing's agent, longtime agent, obviously, um, he was being interviewed uh, by WFN, and he more or less guaranteed that John Kyle Perry would be the coach of the Knicks. John Kyle uh, Perry says that's not going to happen. And David Falk was like, I know. And I'm still willing to bet John Kyle Perry be the coach of the Knicks. So I just thought that was interesting. Because like you said, John Kyle Perry is very, I wouldn't say he was adamant, but he, he said he wasn't going to be the coach. Uh, as a Memphis fan, I, I, I know that John Kyle Perry will sometimes say one thing and do another. But um, it's just interesting. Interesting, to, you know, why Falk was so confident in it. I mean, I know why, because... You know, half of Calipari's guys end up signing with Leon Rose and CAA, and he had the relationship with World Wide West. And uh, the other thing you have to consider for Calipari is, look, now if his guys, quote unquote, now West now is staying on the outside, but if his guys were all going to the NBA, like, does does that now make him less effective as a recruiter? Something you have to consider. But all things to uh, all things I thought were interesting. Yeah, I mean, in terms of real quickly on just the, the the idea of you know Wesley being the man on the outside, that that to me is why you know as a Nick fan I wouldn't freak out by him not being part of the front office because it, I, I got he's still loyal to this guy. Yeah, and I got to quote uh, Uncle Luke of Two Live Crew 
here because you know my yeah. you know Miami Hurricanes fan, and they just recently hired a, a offensive a, analyst who is known to be a very great recruiter in South South Florida for football. And this is a guy that, that Luther Campbell, who's a huge Miami Hurricanes fan, had been touting for a long time. He's there, Drake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. Um, but Luke had been touting this guy, and Miami hired him to be an analyst, offensive analyst. And Luke was unhappy, and people were like, wait, what happened? I thought you said that this guy would be great on the staff. I don't get it. And Luke said, no, when you're an analyst, you can't recruit. What good are you? What good is this guy behind a desk? And that's kind of how I feel about World Wide West. I don't know if him being having a desk job, you know, in a polo shirt that says Knicks on it, is really the position I want him in. Sometimes right. it's all about fit in terms of putting the guys in the right position to be most successful. And he might be the guy I need to not necessarily be in the organization, but to be on the outside. Being a, a a longtime ally of the Knicks' current president, that might make the most sense because yeah. any any dealings he may have or he may want to do, he can't do from behind the Knicks desk at, at you know, in Westchester or yeah. in Madison Square Garden. He can't do those things. Not legally. <laughs> no, not legally. Unless you know he wants to make Dolan pay some hefty fines, and you know, so like, I, I'm not gonna freak out about it. And you know, uh, what's the name? Uh, I think uh, Adam Zagoria, who spoke with us on uh, YouTube channel, shout out to him. Uh, he says that he has a source saying that you know he will be somewhat involved. That's more like it. I'm, I'm, I like That's the very, yeah. I like the vagueness. Yes, I'm, I, I, the more vague, the better. With like, how we're getting into very, very murky gray waters. Of That's what I'm talking about. That's that what I want to hear. I don't want to hear the you know. He, he's the director of operations. Like, what does that mean? I, I, I want him to. I want him to kind of be the shadowy figure, just getting people to Madison Square Garden in his role. He's done it for for so many years in the role he's in. I don't know if I need him to be, you know, you know, at that desk job. You know, uh, look, someone like uh, like like Ray Lewis is a, is a is a great player. I'm not making him a defensive end. You know right. what I'm saying? I'm not having him rush the passer. You know, Darrell Revis, hell of a cornerback. I'm not having them play free safety and play zone. Like, I'm not having them line up at wide up. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm not putting Wes Walker out as an X receiver. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put my players in the best position to make plays. So, Wesley having, you know, again, a desk job at Madison Garden with Nick's polo shirt, I don't get the impression is the best use of his talents. So, I'm fine with him not necessarily being as part of the uh, – uh, a part of the organization, quote unquote, as long as he's, as Adam Zagoria says, still involved. <laughs> involved is is what I want. I like again the the, the murkier the better. Um, real quickly, Ken, let's talk about this baseball thing. So, uh, Major Baseball is unveiled some very controversial ideas for their playoff format moving forward. Here's the deal: it, it uh, increased the amount of teams in each league to seven. In the playoffs, right now you have five. You have a wild card game that then becomes a, for lack of a better term, a semifinals in the playoffs. Now it would be seven teams in each league. You'd have the number one overall seed in each team in each league get a bye. Then you'd have what really becomes, as someone else called it, like just pure reality television. At this point, you'd have the number two team have a choice of who they want to play out of the bottom three teams of those teams between two to six. 
They literally won't just be, oh, the two seed plays the six seed. They could play, they could pick whoever they want out of those bottom teams, and it'd be so on and so forth. Those, those teams will play a three-game series. That series would be uh, the home team playing all three games at home. So, I mean, it, it's a pretty bold idea. They have been players. Trevor Bauer has been the loudest one that has just completely, Trevor Bauer completely just obliterated. I mean, at a certain point, like, doesn't he have to get fined? It's very interesting because like, he, he, every chance he gets, he takes a pot shot at MLB, takes a pot shot at Rob Manfred, and this was the latest case. At a certain point, it's just kind of detrimental to the team. We don't know Trevor Bauer is a pitcher, and he hates Rob Manfred and everything MLB is doing in terms of changing the rules. They introduced a new rule today where uh, relievers come in the game, they got to face at least three batters, which I'm actually, not, I'm actually kind of okay with. Because we got those teams doing this, you know, lefty, like righty, lefty, righty. Stuff. I mean, it's not good for... Uh, it makes the game go forever, though. Yeah, it's not good for the viewer, but it's, I mean, I like, I always like strategy. I guess but. while it is strategy, and I thought about that, too, when I first heard about it, I also argued well when I was really young and before I started playing baseball. We didn't play like this. Like, this isn't... Like, this whole... Like, we're, we're ingrained in the lefty specialist deal because that's the baseball we grew up watching. But... Relievers used to go two, three innings. Sometimes they weren't even used. Sometimes the starter would go eight innings. Like, yeah. Like this whole way the reliever is being is being used in the last twenty years, and especially these last recent years, where it's like they're literally just picking matchups throughout the game for when to put a reliever in, no matter what the situation is. This is all kind of very new in the history of baseball. So I'm fine with them saying, "No, nah, we don't want that anymore." It's making the game slow. It's stupid. If you come in the game, you got to actually pitch. I'm actually okay with that, but that's not the conversation here. This playoff system is is going to be controversial. It's going to make people upset. I'm torn on it, Kendall. On the one hand, I don't think this league needs more teams in the playoffs because I feel like baseball is the kind of sport where it's kind of like football. Where I just feel like there, at a certain point, you start putting some teams in, like, you're just going to be putting in bad teams in the playoffs. I don't want to see bad teams in the playoffs, you know? That's, like, yeah, that's 100% like, like, the NBA, that's one of the, the gripes that people have the NBA is that there's just too many bad teams in the postseason when, once you get there. And, like, a lot of these series don't matter. Like, while hockey has 16 teams, hockey is so much more of a crapshoot. Therefore, it's all, like, it's, it's, it's every man for himself. And, like, a team that's an AC can win a Stanley Cup. So it's not as bad. Um, but the NBA, like, you know, the bottom four seed, the bottom four seeds, you know, they have a very difficult time getting past the second round. Uh, so, so that's where I think baseball is kind of similar. Where I think those ten teams that make the playoffs, those are you know most of the time genuinely good teams. Once you start getting behind below that, you add two more teams to each league. It's uh, very rare. Those I'm teams are are bad sometimes. I mean, there's sometimes that the fifteen, uh, the sixteen rather. Oh, right, then, I'm sorry, the 15 that gets in sometimes in years has been teams that won 83 games, 84 games. Teams that yeah. have just been completely mediocre. Like, those are not the teams I think you want to see in in the playoffs. Like, when you're supposed to be, supposed to be, supposed to be di- di- displaying the best that baseball has to offer. That doesn't make sense. Like, it's this very year, rare I've looked at it and said, oh, yeah, you know, the team that got snubbed from the postseason, man, they could have won a World Series. Like, that. Like this year, that that would have been the Mets and the, and the Diamondbacks in the National League. Nobody thought them teams could win a World Series. Not at all. In the other league, it would have been, uh, okay, Cleveland is really was, was 93 wins. They were a, a pretty good team. But it would have been, Boston would have been the other team. They just had a fire sale because their season was so pathetic. Like, yeah. 
those are not the teams that you, you want to see in the postseason. After what you don't want to reward the way those teams have played. So that aspect I, I kind of get, and I do worry about the quality of play. I also feel like that that bye week might end up being like not necessarily a good thing for uh, a team that's a number one seed because baseball is so much about rhythm and timing and rest. Rest helps, but at a certain point, once you've played 162 games, it's just like yo, I just want to be at my yeah. best. I don't know if I want to sit five <laughs> there's, days. There's like, be, uh, there's, you always have to wonder what the unintended consequences of it, right? And that's and, like a very like that's a very like artificial thing you're throwing into the mix that it's just now the best team like what if the team like now the best team can be all for a week week and a half like maybe just a week. I mean, yeah, I mean it's only three games, so you know it, it's probably you know four or five days, you know probably four days the, the least, probably about you know probably about five days I'd say. That's a long time in baseball though. That is that yeah. feels like two weeks. Like teams don't have that kind of time off except for the All Star break. So. That's an eternity, yeah. and it's so abnormal to baseball that that could, again, like you said, have unintended consequences. At the same time, how does this? Aff- well, you're, I'll let you no, I'm saying at the same time, the reason why I'm torn on it is because the, I, this would absolutely draw a different kind of interest into the game that we haven't had. That's easy. You're talking about you got the you know a team going up there doing a you know basically a draft of who they want to play. They got to yeah. do it on Election national. Te- they got to do it on national TV, and that's. That creates drama. Now, part of me is like, okay, does this become, you know, kind of like, you know, carnival freak show type drama? Or is that real drama? Like, I think that's a conversation I guess we'll have with the XFL. Like, some of these things, like, okay, is this just, like, so gimmicky that it's, like, like the novelty of it isn't worth how ridiculous it is? And I don't know. This is, like, right on that borderline for me. Like, it's, it is pretty interesting, but it's just, like... Like that, it just screams. You're just trying to get attention, which I know they need. But, but again, then when you consider all those unintended consequences, I don't know if it's worth it. And I and baseball purists will hate this, and I get it. Yeah, uh, for me, it just drew a lot of drawback. I think the I think the 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 vitriol towards Rod Manfred I thought was a little harsh on social media when this was floated out there. Um, I'm not going to say that because I feel like I've, I've always felt that the vitriol to him has been harsh, but he's been making it a lot harder for me to make that case for him. I've defended him pretty much his entire time as commissioner, but you're starting to get to the point. You're starting to get to the point now where you are really changing the fabric of how the sport conducts itself. And, yeah, I, and, I and people are just not going to like that. I'm not saying that they're right or wrong, but I, I can understand if I like, I can understand someone looking at this being like, this is ridiculous. I, I get it. It's it's a gimmick, but it may be what they need. I don't know, and and that's a lot of that. A lot of the vitriol towards Rob Manfred, I think, was a lot of uh, what do you call uh, you know, it was a lot of some pent up. It was a lot of pent up anger. Right? A lot of some of it had to, some of it probably didn't even have to do with this specific thing. But just like you said, the the constant changes and even maybe even the Astros situation, like especially from certain players, but um. I don't know. I feel like I don't like the the TV thing. I, it just feels too much like a money grab, a ratings grab. You know, like they're talking about this is going to be important for which you know because they have a new TV deal and which network is gonna <laughs> is gonna bid on. You know, is it going to the Zone? Is it going to ESPN? Is it going to Turner? Like going to Fox? Like, and so that kind of stuff is already 
you know, I'm like, all right, so now we're in a selection show, but it's not it like there's I've never seen a deal where you have teams pick who they're going to face in the postseason. Like that's that, I don't think that's ever happened in any sport. And I guess maybe why not change things up? I mean, I think baseball is the one sport of all that needs something to spice up the conversation. Um, I just don't know if like I don't know how much I care. It's almost like the NBA All-Star Draft. You know, we didn't talk about it, but, like, you know, we had this All-Star Draft this year, and, like, every, all like, Team LeBron, everyone on Team LeBron is basically in the Western Conference, particularly the starters, and every starter on Team Giannis is in the Eastern Conference. Like, that's what I would worry about with this thing, is that they would have this big, grandiose show, but then, like, it ends up being how the teams are, <laughs> are, 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 you know, seated in terms of record. Like, why wouldn't the best team pick the worst team? And maybe there are matchups, maybe you don't want to face a certain pitcher, I, I guess. But like, you know, like that, that's where I'm like, am I just going to be watching this for no reason? That's, that's one issue. But then the other issue is like, all right, now, like, we know at the trade deadline, a lot of times teams are, are, in baseball, the trade deadline is a lot more active, not only because free agency is a big deal, but also because, like, there are less playoff spots. Exactly. So, like, more teams feel like we have no chance. <laughs> like, we're not making the playoffs. So they are more willing to just, you know. Dump, um, dump yeah, salary. Yeah, yeah and, start dump yeah, salary. Start to rebuild. You know, there's, a real, that's a, there's a real buyers and sellers conversation in baseball versus, like, the NBA, where teams are all feel like they have a shot yeah. on some level. Mm-hmm. If you do that, and if you do, if you include this, now you got two more playoff spots, and you you automatically get one full series, at least. Now, like every team, not every team, but a lot of teams, a lot more extra teams are going to feel like I might be able to compete to get in that lot. To get yeah, that I mean, lot. just think about it, Kendall. I just talked about the Red Sox who just sold. They were a team that would have made the playoffs last year, in yeah, this in formatting. Maybe and what if they win a playoff? What if they win a playoff series? Are they still trying to get rid of Mookie Betts? I mean. We don't know. I mean, I'm not in their pockets. Clearly, they didn't, they they say they didn't have the money, so maybe they would have still. But it may have been a lot harder of a case if they made a run in the postseason that would have been improbable or impossible based on where they were. So that's a great point. And baseball, the trade deadline is probably the most active. I mean, them and basketball are close, but uh, but like baseball's trade deadline is a huge part of the season. You're more likely to see superstars get traded in baseball. Yeah, for sure. And now. It's going to be teams that may be like, well, we can make the playoffs and we can get an extra buck, you know, by, by having some playoff games and getting that playoff bonus. Why would we do that? Or if you're a team that maybe even gets a home game, I mean, it's all right. Well, you know, we, we could fight for this home spot. Like maybe we're in the sixth spot. But maybe we feel like we can get to the, you know, the third spot. You know what I'm saying? Like there are conversations that are going to be different in the trade deadline if you did put this in place. I almost feel like about- they should try it just to see how it goes. Try it one year, but like my thing is, if you try it, like how do you, you take it back? Kind of have to to, to to go with it. I don't think so. I, I mean, to me, I, people always say that kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't know, why not? It's why, such a drastic. You could just be like, all right, we tried something, it was stupid. All right, let's we're gonna bring it back next year. It's ten teams <laughs> again. I don't know. Like, it's, I mean, like, I guess at the end of the day, it's a game, and like it's like the owners who are, like these are millionaires and billionaires. Like it's just it's just like monopoly money. It's just like them just doing like. Putting on putting on a show is all entertainment. So you could be like, all right, I mean, like just like you could do a season of a TV show and you turn out they introduce a character and everybody hates that character. You know what? You can just kill him off in the season premiere next 
the next season. And then it, it, you're, you just move on from that. And you pretend like it didn't happen. Like, you can do those things. You can make drastic look, changes and go the back. Game, but, like, the All-Star yeah. game is, is on a much smaller scale in the postseason. And that's the thing. I mean, that's arguable. Like, but at the same time, the All-Star game was impacting the most important aspect of the postseason. And that's, yeah, and that's the thing. This is like, the wild card round. So this isn't even as important. That, and that's fair. You know, I... I don't know. I just, I guess my thing is, I don't know how I feel about the TV thing. That's my thing. And like, I mean, I it's have no a gimmick with it being on TV yeah. versus like them just, you know, announcing it on social media or something like that. But like, like how would that even be done? And would it be entertaining to watch? Because like, I like, I don't know if I would really care like care to watch that. I'll probably watch it the first year, but like. Who are you, like, you're just bringing up, like, a team captain, a team representative, like, the GM, the manager, like, who's making those picks? Like, is it, is, you know... I, I mean, again, it's these guys who have Monopoly money, they could do whatever they want. They could make it as dramatic and as petty as they want. And, I, and that, if, if I were them, I would very much make it as petty and as... You have to. You, like, and if you're going down that road, you have to. You just have to make it as ridiculous. You have to have Aaron Judge... Being the representative of the Yankees saying, yeah, we want the Rays in the first round. Like, yeah. you, you have to have that happen. And then the Rays, then you go to the Rays and you got to talk about, well, what do you think about them saying they want you guys in the first round? And then yeah, you have you that. And now you already created animosity. You've already created drama for the series. Like, And, and that's what they need. I'm afraid they're not going to do that because, let me think about the NBA. When they instituted this draft thing, we were like, oh, this actually sounds cool. But no, we can't. We, we got to do it in private because we don't want to. We don't want to, you know, piss off anybody. We don't want to, you know, anybody have any speculation, any tampering, any, uh, you know, anybody feel left out if they if they're the last guy picked. EJ, you know who the last guy picked in this in this last draft, last All Star draft? No, because nobody cares. Exactly. These guys are all All Stars. It was actually Demontis Sabonis, no surprise. But why, like? Does anybody is anybody pointing fingers at Demontis Bonus like he's a bum because <laughs> he was the last guy I picked, you know? So that whole thing was very stupid. But that's what I'm worried about in MLB that they'll just say, yeah, you know, we'll keep this very professional, very cordial, you know, <laughs> you know, like no interviews or you know, it was not live. I don't know. I, I think you think there are ways in which they're going to water it down. But if they go full tilt on this, it could end up being interesting. But, like, I would almost prefer if they were just like, you know, it's going to be a random draw. Something crazy like that. But, I don't know. It's interesting. It's an interesting, it's an interesting try. I've just never seen a situation where you have teams pick who they're going to face yeah. in any I, sport. I think this is going to happen. I think that just going this far, were they telling us this, about this? Yeah, they're this? talking about TV deals and stuff. Yeah, like, this, this is going to happen. And too much it's going to be fascinating. Like, you can't deny whether you hate it or love it. You're going to pay attention. And that's what Major League Baseball wants. And maybe that's not the purest of intentions, but when you're in the money-making game, it is what it is. Uh, Ken, let's quickly go through this who's playing and who's trash because we're kind of long, long on time here. But uh, I'll go first. I, I'm going to go with Dame Lillard. This guy has been just flat-out remarkable. He is probably one of the first players I've ever seen on a team that is outside the playoff race getting serious uh, conversations about the MVP award. And some people have argued that, that that's kind of ridiculous. And I kind of agree. I, he probably shouldn't be in the MVP conversation. But Dame Lillard right now is the best point guard in the NBA. And I don't think that you really can make that case against him. I don't know who you're propping up. Obviously, you know, Steph Curry's been the best 
guard for a long time, but he's been injured this year. So, you know, right now, Lillard's guy out there, and he's just been on an absolute tear. Uh, he's been averaging pretty much, you know, 40 points for the past, you know, uh, you know for the past, you know, 10, 10, 10 to 11 games or whatever. Uh, some of these point numbers, I'm just going to give them to you. 61, 47, 50, 36, uh, 48. Those were some of the uh, numbers he went on during that uh, tear he had in uh, in, in, in the January. He then had 51 against Utah. He later had 42 against uh, Utah again in a loss. That was that whole goaltending gate where you know they thought they got caught. They, they thought they, they, they got robbed on a bad call, which they did. It was a bad call. Um, this guy is just remarkable, man. And I got to tell you, I feel like ever since I made that statement, on this show, you'll probably remember it, know exactly where I'm going, where I said that Kyrie was by far the most explosive guard in the league. Oh, by yeah. Steph Curry. Yeah, like, you said, what about Dame Lillard? And I said, yeah. Dame Lillard has a conscience. I could not have been more wrong. Dame Lillard does not have a conscience. He, he's in a different zone. And he he's just, some guys, they just figure it out. I think he's one of those guys that he's at the point of his career. He's 29 years old. And he just. I'm going to put you on the spot. He's at, he's at the top of his game. Who who would you say no order are the five best point guards in the NBA right now? Like like this season, I'm just I'm not even gonna include Steph because he's not playing. Yeah, I'm gonna go Dame Lillard. I'm gonna go no order Russell Westbrook. I'm gonna go Kemba Walker. How much is that? Four? That's three. That's three? Damn. Dame, Westbrook, Kemba. It's an, it's an interesting conversation. I only I, I would I would probably go I'd probably go Simmons and, and Trey Young. Cause I only asked that because uh Kendrick Pershing said John Morant is a top five point guard in the NBA. I right cannot now. I cannot say that. I love John Morant, but I cannot say that. He's not better than the five guys I just named. It's close between I think it's close between him, Simmons, and Trey Young. I think they're all in the same tier. And whichever guy I prefer Morant over those two guys personally. I think he plays. But I think more. I think you're saying that because of his upside, not because of what he is right now. I mean Morant's team is in the is in the playoffs. No, I get I, mean, and I, I, I get that. I, I I get that. But I don't I don't think you really think that Trey Young is not a better player than Kevin than John Morant. I, I don't think you think that Ben Simmons is not a better player than John. Ben Simmons, I think I think him and Ben Simmons are close, and I think him and Trey are close. But if we're just going with the winning argument, like there is no real, and it's hard for me to say because like the Grizzlies aren't that much, <laughs> aren't that much worse than the than the Hawks. Like maybe one day if you were on a super team, like or he was playing with another superstar, like I mean Jaron Jackson is much better than anybody on the Hawks. But yes, exactly. And I guess he didn't have John Collins, but even with John Collins, but that team's not winning anything. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's crazy. I think, I, I, you know, Kyrie also has been in that conversation. You know, he's been hurt pretty much all year. But, like, I don't know. You know, I, I just, I, that's why I just thought it was interesting because, like, you mentioned, you know, Lillard being the, the top guy. I think you're right. But, you know. Morant, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a, been a down year for point guards. Also, there's been a reshuffling. I feel like for a long time we kind of had the guys. We didn't even mention Chris Paul, who's also yeah, in that he's conversation. Played great, yeah. But yeah. it's always been Chris Paul. It's always been John Wall. It's always been 
Kyrie's always yeah, been we had a we we've had a top five or six that pretty much was solid, and this year Westbrook kind of dropped, but then he's playing great now. And yeah, he already this year he's the second best point guard. Yeah, you know Lillard's always been around five or six or seven. Now he's number one, almost consensus. You know, yeah. it's a weird it's a weird year for point guards. But yeah. Young Morant are in the picture. Curry, yeah, Curry is hurt. Walls hurt. It's it's a reshuffling. But Dame Lillard though, I mean, just unbelievable. We haven't really talked about him during this whole stretch. So I had to make sure I got him in there. So he's my flames. Who you got for flames? Uh, for me, EJ, it will be the opening weekend of the XFL. Um, uh, did you watch any of these games? Any? Did you watch one minute of? I did. I did. Um, I and I actually was at work, but I did check it out. Um, you who did you, you watch? You watched the? I watched the, the DC. I watched, I watched the DC team. DC Defenders, man. DC I, Defenders. I actually know some people that work for the DC Defenders. Yeah, they had a, they were a nine point favorite. I'm like, yo, how they got the line for a game <laughs> against two teams that nobody knows no, they who they are? Have, and they kind of have. <laughs> I'm just saying, it just was crazy. I'm like, yo, Vegas must have been like, had they must have had scouts go to these teams' practices because this doesn't make any sense. Was, it had to be a degenerate gambler that had nothing to do with their life. But yo, you, better you, on you gamble on XFL, man. The, the opening weekend, not even, not even the playoffs. <laughs> the opening weekend, you don't know anybody. You don't know anything about these teams. Yo, man, you, you, we need you need some help. We need to get you. Uh, you, you probably watch too much uncut gems. <laughs> you know, yeah, there you go. a little too much. Like that's 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 too wild. Uh, yeah, I, I did watch. Um, it's funny, like, I feel, I, you know, you know me, like, I thought the UFL thing was a joke. I never really bought into it. I didn't know why people were going crazy after week one. This, I, AF. yeah, whatever that was called, AF, AFL, whatever. This AF. felt, <laughs> a, okay, sure, whatever. Oh, <laughs> this felt different. I don't know why. I don't know if the ESPN and ESPN that branding helped. and the ESPN other, and Fox. And Fox branding, it definitely probably helped. And they're not paying them a dime. Like, no. this is not a TV deal. Like, this is purely, we just want to get on your network. And I think it's great. Great idea by Vince McMahon. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was smart. I think it worked. I think some of the, the stuff I saw was cool. I liked the sideline interviews during the game. I liked the referees uh, being mic'd up for certain calls. I liked uh, the two-point conversion, three-point conversion deal. I thought that, like, I mean, and I thought that the craziest thing was the kickoff. You know, like that having was, those guys just lined up, nobody can move until the guy catches the ball. And that's like to me that 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 those kickoffs now look more like street football games, and yeah. they're actually more safe than the kickoffs that we've had. Yeah, the NFL the high speed collision. Yeah, and the NFL had the issue of like we need to get rid of the collisions, but now we have a million touchbacks. So it's and so you've taken out the most exciting play of the game. Now it's just not even a, really a play anymore. Like. There are some things that I like, and I think the NFL will have to look at. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I went with it as, as as flames because, like you mentioned, you watched it. I watched that same game. The the opening interviews were very awkward. <laughs> I can imagine Vince McMahon in the uh, he was backstage with the, in, in the gorilla in the, in the gorilla with the headset. <laughs> yeah, he had the headset, just blowing a gasket at the 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 awful. Sideline interviews that we got at the beginning of, of that DC Defenders game, but um, beyond that, uh, the ratings were excellent. Yes, uh, were. I mean, not excellent, excellent in comparison yeah. to what relative, that, yeah, yeah, relative to an XFL game. Like they were very, very solid. Um, now they were not super. They were they were better, but not 
overly better than the AAF initially was. So that's something that you have to worry about or consider. But um, I do think that the the league standing right now in being on ESPN and Fox, I think, will certainly help it long term. There were some names that we all recognize. Obviously, Cardell Jones. You know, I saw Aaron Murray was trending because he looked terrible, apparently, playing for the Tampa Bay Vipers. Um, you know, Pepper Johnson apparently got fired after one game as defensive coordinator. That was wild. Which is very interesting. Um, but that was, that was WWE. Like, that was pure, like, I don't know where Vince is putting in that. Because you know there's going to be storylines. He's going to mix them in somewhere. That was like, oh, that's WWE, yeah. You know, manager gets fired after one match. Like, I've seen that happen every week on Raw. Now, I, I have a question. Because I don't know if you've seen some of Johnny Manziel's tweets. But do you think this Johnny Manziel stuff is a work? What is Johnny Manziel tweeting? Johnny Manziel, is essentially, he, he went on, like, a Twitter, you know, I won't say tirade, but just a Twitter binge, you know, during that, I think, right before the XFL, you know, like, the day before or whatever. And essentially, he was just... He he was blasting the XFL, saying that it won't last, saying you got you know I, I don't know if he called the guy scrubs or what, but just said he was too good for it and blah blah blah. And Says the you mentioned the storyline thing. I know which is ironic. I just wonder if this thing is a work or not, or if this is legit. So, um, I mean, it's, some- it's it's it wouldn't surprise me if if there was some kind of work going on. Johnny seems to be the kind of person that would partake. But at the same time, he's apparently changed his life, so that doesn't mean kind of, kind of that the new Johnny Manziel would want to involve himself in. But the new Johnny Manziel, I think, would rather keep his mouth shut than really insert himself into this deal. Johnny Manziel should be like to me, like I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I, I'm probably giving him way too much credit for like the redemption tour he's tried to go on. But like, why isn't he like a college football analyst? College football analyst or college football coach, even, but I think analysts would be perfect. I'm not and putting I, him. Around, I'm not putting him around kids. Uh, not not full time. <laughs> Look, man, you're giving a lot of you're giving a lot of credit to a lot of these coaches out there. None of these guys are. <laughs> I don't think none of these guys, but not all these guys are. are as we saw with the Zach Smith situation, Fire boys, yeah, yeah, but yeah, exactly. I'm so, just saying though, he's a little young and rambunctious <laughs> to be around. Fair enough, kids. fair enough, but. I agree. I think, you know, I think that, that he is a guy that makes sense to eventually do TV. But I don't think the networks even trust him. But I don't know. Um, the XFL, I think they are missing star power, though. I think they that's are. The one thing. You know, I like you can't get me to watch consistently to watch Cardell Jones and Matt McGloin and, you know, just Aaron Murray. Like, I'm just Landry Jones. Like, Bob Stoops, to me, is the biggest attraction. He is. And his team lost. Watching Bob Stoops coach coach football is like more yeah. interesting than any of the players that are out there. So like, and that's the issue. Now, if you told me Johnny Manziel was the quarterback of the Dallas team, coached by Bob Stoops, now I mean I mean I have to watch those that team every week. But you know whether it's Manziel, Tebow, uh, Kaepernick, I don't know I don't know who it is, but they need stars. Right now they don't have that, and that's the that's the issue. And then we always talk about, but imagine if. They decided we're gonna open the doors and really start paying college guys. Like that would also be interesting. And I don't know when and if and when they will do that, but I think they should. If I were running the team or I was running the league, but I, yeah, I got to give. Sorry, it was a it was a very interesting week for them. I gotta give a massive shout out to uh, Elise Ashton 
who works for WWE and is the uh, pregame host on the XFL YouTube channel, uh, a YouTube show with Jonathan Coachman. She's a friend of mine. We work, work together at New York One. And I'm hoping to get on the podcast. And I'm hoping maybe me speaking into existence happens. So we can talk XFL and just like what, how that's going and things like that. I, I always felt she'd be a good guest. She used to work with that New York Islanders as well. I didn't know like why we would have an interview with her, but I feel like this might make sense now. Like this is like exactly what I was waiting for. And she apparently did a good job. I didn't get to see the YouTube show because I was working, but shout out to her. She's a great reporter and a great, just cool person. So had to give that massive shout out. Um, let's uh, quickly go through trash. Uh, me, it's Mets ownership. So, you know, I don't know if we even talked about the Mets possibly selling the team on this show. No, we didn't because it, it kind of happened the day we did it last week. So. Right. So the, so the Mets uh, are, are still up for sale. Um, there was a, a deal that was reached by the team to sell the team to uh, a hedge fund uh, manager named something Cohen. I don't remember his first Steve name. Cohen? Is it Steve Cohen? I don't know why Steve Cohen sounded like somebody that, you know, was a Trump bag man. <laughs> you I, might be right, I and know. maybe he probably they probably I'm probably right about that. There probably is a bag man that Trump has that was named Steve Cohen. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Steve. So it is Steve Cohen for the Mets, but there's also a Republican. Uh, no, he actually was a Democrat, but there's a Tennessee representative. Hey, Tennessee That's probably funny. probably he still in the Trump. Politician. Probably still in the Trump bag somewhere. Uh, yeah, Tennessee. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, I thought the Trump hatchet man. Um, nah, Steve Cohen, he's a hedge fund uh, manager. He actually owns like part of the team now. He has a minority stake. There was apparently a deal for him to get majority stake, and it looked like it was going through for for the most part. Then all of a sudden, all fell apart. And it seems to have fallen apart on the basis of what we all thought was strange when it came out. When the details came out, and they announced it. It was this deal where Cohen would own the team. But the Wilpons would still run the team for five years, which didn't make any sense when that even came out. It didn't like that. That plan didn't make sense. And to make matters worse, what also didn't make sense. Uh, well, it's not make matters worse. It didn't make sense to Steve Cohen because apparently Steve Cohen started to ask questions about what this arrangement was. He thought it was kind of more of like a, like a you know, well, what's the word? Like like a like a. I can't find the word, but it just, he thought it was like a novelty thing. It was just like, oh, like they're not going to, they're, they're not really running the show. Like they're just there in spirit or in title. Like, you know, right. they were de facto running the team, but they weren't actually running the team. It was just them for kind of, I guess, save face or whatever. And I guess the Wolfpack was like, no, we want to run the team. What are you talking about? So uh, he backed away and they both backed away. So now the Mets now have this situation where they're once again embarrassed. They put themselves well, up no, for sale. Still not a spending. <laughs> yeah, still not team. a spending team. There was a lot of excitement. This dude Cohen is loaded. He's like worth billions and billions of dollars. He worked way more than the Wilpons combined. So there was the idea that this guy comes in, you know, he's coming in to spend, and that made a lot of Mets fans very excited having to deal with the Wilpons, who you own a baseball team, you're very rich, but they're not the typical New York owners, owners, sports owners that we've seen. They're not. You know, the size, they're not the Dolans, they're not the Steinbrenners, they're not, uh, you know, the Myers or the Johnsons. Like, they don't, they are penny pinchers, and they try not to spend what they don't have. So, that's been an issue with the team for a long time. So, we bring Cohen, deep pockets that excited people. Now, fans are disappointed. Now, the team's up for sale. And what's frustrating is, once you put a team up for sale and you have a deal in place and the fans are excited, 
like you have the deal has to go through. You can't do what the Mets just did, which is now like, oh, we don't want to do this deal. So now, oh, I guess we the Wilpons are still owning the team. So now the fans know the Wilpons don't want the team. The fans never wanted the Wilpons. They were happy the team was they were selling them. Now nobody's happy. So now you gotta find a buyer, and now it looks like the Wilpons will have to sell the team in a more conventional deal. Now they won't be able to get that ridiculous five year grace period that they were gonna get with Cohen. Now they're gonna have to just give the team outright like normal teams do when they when they uh when they give up their 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 ownership. So I don't know, it's just a mess, man. Like I don't have any ill will towards the Wilpons. To be honest, I think they kind of get too much of a bad rap for some of the stuff that's happened. But this just kind of like the Knicks sometimes. Like, you just can't get out of your own way. And and this falling apart the way it did, not a good look for the team. And just with the Beltron thing and now this, for a season that had optimism, it's just starting to look like that gray cloud is starting to hover again. So the Mets' ownership is trash this week. Um... Interesting. Yes, interesting nonetheless. I will clear up that Steve Cohen, yes, is a Tennessee uh, representative. Uh, he is anti-Trump. So, oh, okay. oh yeah, that, <laughs> was the dude that, the, that was the dude that bought the bought the fried chicken to the House Committee thing. He brought a he brought a, like because I guess Trump people didn't want to testify, so he brought like a bucket of KFC. He's like these guys are chicken. He had the bucket of chickens at the he, um, sitting at the committee chair <laughs> the committee table. It was ridiculous. He was not. Uh, he he actually didn't attend the State of the Union because he was anti-Trump. So, okay. Uh, just thank you for that. that thank you for that clarity. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, trash for me was uh, is Mel Tucker. Uh, Mel Tucker, if you're not aware, is the uh, was the coach at Colorado, coaching the NFL for a long time, defensive coordinator. Uh, was defense coordinator at Georgia most recently before this season, becoming the head coach at Colorado. Had a pretty decent year. I mean, I think they only won five or six games, but, you know, they, they, they pushed some teams pretty far. You know, had a superstar receiver in LaVisca Chenault, who will, will probably be a first-round pick. But um, had a, had some positive things happen for them this season and also signed a top 35 recruiting class for, for next season. So uh seemed like the Colorado program's on the up and up. Uh, which is why Michigan State decided, you know, after losing Mark D'Antonio, was going to uh, reach out to Mel Tucker for their vacant head coaching job. I believe we talked about Mark D'Antonio last week Mm -hmm. uh, leaving Michigan State. And initially, Mel uh, Mel Tucker went on Twitter and said, while I'm flattered to be considered for the head coaching job at Michigan State, I am committed to at Colorado Buffs football for the hashtag build of our program. It's great athletes, coaches, and supporters. Hashtag unfinished business. Hashtag go buffs. We are hashtag relentless. Hashtag culture. Hashtag the built. He tweeted that uh, EJ on February 8th. Um, It is now February 12th. And he accepted, as of February 12th, he has accepted the head coaching job at Michigan State. Um, So... For a lot of reasons, he's trashed. But for one, it is uh, saying that you were gonna <laughs> you were gonna stay, uh, making it public on Twitter that he was gonna stay uh, at Colorado, and he he declined the job at Michigan State, and then to then four days later, accept it, not a good look. Um, Drew Peterson, Cowboys legend Drew Peterson, went on Twitter, said in all caps, "Mel Tucker is a con man." 
he recruited my grandson to go to CU, said he wasn't going anywhere, then ups and leaves. Sat there and lied to my face. He wasn't going anywhere. So I want to beat him up today on social media. What else can I do? Uh, there have been a lot of a lot of pot shots have been have been taken at Mel, Mel Tucker since he decided to leave. Uh, a lot of people are referencing his his quote earlier, just four months ago. He was talking about the college football transfer culture and said, uh, there's no transfer portal in the real world, essentially, you know, <laughs> denouncing the idea of a transfer portal, while in fact he's been at three different spots in three years. So I don't know. I just think there are a lot of reasons why Mel, Mel Tucker, this is a, just a bad look. On the face value, he's making $5.9 million. It's like a, almost a, he's making almost double. I mean, I don't, I think that's a lot of money for Mel Tucker, but look, Big Ten money is, is different than Pac-12 money right now. And a lot that's an, also a conversation that a lot of people are having is can the Pac-12 even compete with the Big Ten and SEC schools? But it's still, it's still just terrible optics to decline the offer and then take it less than a week later. Yeah, it's it's it speaks to the typical hypocrisy that comes with, you know, college coaching, college football. I was I couldn't help to be the guy who at least thought, okay, they're hammering Tucker and we've had so many white coaches do this thing. Black coach does it. Now they're hammering him. But <laughs> That's but, fair. but 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 as you and as a black person, I'm always gonna at least Think about that. I'm not going to come to that conclusion. Then you do a little bit of homework. The they ain't no transfer portal in the real world. The I love the Colorado. I'm never leaving. Hashtag go Bucks. Hashtag CU. Hashtag no Colorado for life. Hashtag hashtag Rocky Mountains. Hashtag Carmelo fifteen retires number. Hashtag whatever anything regarding Colorado. Hashtag Broncos. You hashtag know. hashtag Drew Lot hashtag John Elway like you can't do that and then be the dude that bounces and then want to talk to the team they apparently he apparently wanted to address the team and they said nah fam you gotta go and I have yeah. no issue with that zero yeah get him the hell out of here if you're gonna embarrass my organization like that and my school like that that was messed up and you know how I feel about the hypocrisy of the Coaches being able to leave, not wanting players to get paid, not wanting uh, players to, to go to different schools, better opportunities when coaches can do the exact same thing. It's a joke. And, you know, you sent me a shout-out to Chris Fowler. He's a he's a, you know, obviously ESPN College game day host and does the big games for ESPN. I thought he had a really good message. That's what he I also it. is the, you know, a Colorado uh, alumni. He had, a, he, had a, he had a great – yeah, I never realized because I guess he's really that great of anchor. He's just very straight-laced. He wouldn't know what team he was for. Um and he, he actually gave us a little bit of his fan perspective. And he spoke about um, how much, you know, this hurts for that fan base. And how you get it from the business standpoint. But how there, there clearly is this double standard. And how the level of disrespect that, you, that Tucker did, whether he meant to or not, to a lot of people in that community. And when you're a college football coach, you are a member of the community in ways that are much different than any other sports job. Yeah. So I thought... Arguably the leader of the community. Yeah, he just... He <laughs> for, better, for, for better or for worse. That's why I couldn't really go on the, oh, why are we giving the black guy the issue for the same thing the white coaches do? Uh, he leaned into this a little bit more than most <laughs> of these other coaches who know they're about to take the bag do. And that was not well, cool. Pat that was classic. 
Honestly, Pat Narduzzi would have gotten less smoke only because I, I still would have been. I, they were going to say the fans are happy he was gone. Right. Yeah, exactly. I still would have been holding. I, I mean, I was holding out hope that he would do the exact thing Mel Tucker did. But, like, this is different because, look, Mel Tucker's in his first year at the job. You know, like, so to do this, you're and not, again, they didn't win 10 games. But, and that's also, I think, part of the reason why I think Fowler may mention something along those lines. Like, if you left this, the program at it's all time high, then it's like, all right, you know, it's unfortunate, but we can rebuild, we can recover. But one year you win five games, you get a great recruiting class, and then you dip. After all the things that you said, it's, I mean, you're leaving the program on shaky ground right after, I mean, at least you left after National Signing Day as opposed to before, but I don't know. It's, but then that's from a fan perspective, but think about the players, think about the guys that you did commit and get to sign on National Signing Day, then a couple days later, you decide to leave? I don't know. It is, it's not a good look. Uh, there is a lot of talk about Eric Bieniemy. I mean, EJ, if you were his agent, would you advise, obviously, Chief Officer Coordinator, would you advise Eric Bieniemy to take this job? I'm on the fence about it. Like, because part of me says it might be a decent gig because Colorado... Probably, Colorado. Yeah, he's a Colorado alum. He's one of the greatest players to play at Colorado. Um... Colorado, they were they were not that removed from a couple of years ago from having a really solid season in college football because the Pac-12 is so bad. So part of me is like, you might want to. It might be a, a good first step towards you then getting an NFL job if you go over there, you beat the hell out of that terrible conference. And like even they won, if you're they won ten, they won eight nine games a year. Yeah, they won ten games oh, under Mike McIntyre. Yeah, Mike McIntyre. Like that was 2016. You bring in, you know, you 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 come in with your NFL expertise, your coaching skills. You the Pac-12, there's nobody that's sitting there that's the big, the the big dog in in, in the yard. And even and I don't think Oregon, Oregon has been scary at times. I don't think that this is that point in time where we look at them and say, oh, Not nobody's yet. touching them. Now they Not may get there because yeah. Cristobal is recruiting his behind off, but. I'm not saying Both they're Justin there right Herbert, now. That's who they look like. Yeah, they don't have a quarterback. Right. So, right now, the Pac-12 still is kind of anybody's game. USC is terribly down. UCLA is terribly down. Stanford seems to be on the decline. No, it's kind of completely up for the taking. So, if I would be Miami, I would consider it. I guess the only issue is it's a risk because it's Colorado. It's not a, right. a, a traditional power. And if you go not there and... And it's, yes. and it's college football. It's a lot different than the pros. And there's a lot more in different different roles you're going to have to take as a college football coach, as I just mentioned, being a member of the community. Are you ready for all that? And if there's an adjustment period that doesn't quite work out for you, will that hurt your NFL head coach's you know, chances moving forward? People say, ah, see, he couldn't even get it done in Colorado. Like, the enemy we know can coach. He should be an NFL head coach. He shouldn't have to do this. Like, he shouldn't have to go to college. But, like... That's the risk you take is like, you know, him having to do this extra step, going to a school that's not loaded with talent, that's not loaded as a recruiting, fertile recruiting ground. It's not a, you have to feel not really a, not a college football power. There's a big risk there. So I don't yeah, know. He got to feel really confident that he was uh, so superior as the X's and those guys that it almost didn't matter. Like, if you gave me any power five level talent, like, I could outcoach, I could coach rings around a lot of these guys, which he might be able to, but that's. That's a leap that I, I like. That's a risk that I don't know if he should take. But shout out to uh, to Drew Pearson, who just wants to smoke with everybody. And I love it. I love this rebranding. 
he's at the best rebrand of 2020. Just <laughs> angry dude who, if you slight him or disrespect him in any way, he wants he wants smoke with you. Yes. Drew Pearson was upset about the Hall of Fame. He was up there talking about how crazy it was. Now, blasting, yeah. blasting the NFL, blasting the, the, the Hall of Fame situation. Now, uh, he's saying that he, he wants to pull up on, <laughs> on Matt Tucker. I mean, Drew Pearson is like 70 years old. I love it. I love it. Um, Kendall, let's get out of here. We got to do Kendall's Court. Let's wrap up the show. Yes. So, for Kendall's Court, I mentioned I was going to talk a little NFL draft. Well, um, Tua Tungavailoa. Uh, obviously, we know him as you know the superstar quarterback at Alabama. Entered the draft less than a month ago, but um, or about a month ago, let me say less, but about a month ago, um, had his obviously had the devastating hip injury at the end of the season uh, last year, but is coming in now. Just had a, a CT scan on his hip. Doctors cleared him. Uh, he's checked out positively. Uh, we'll still have to wait a little bit to really participate in any throwing or, you know, like he's not going to throw at the combine, for example, but uh, should be ready to play by the start of the season by training camp, potentially. I mean, we don't we don't exactly know the timeline that a lot of that will be determined by the team that picks him, obviously. But uh, I just thought it was interesting because since there's been a lot of positive talk about Tua's, in, about Tua's injury, you know, a lot of it's come more positive than negative. It's not being looked at as the Bo Jackson injury that ended Bo Jackson's career, but more of just a, a, a short-term setback with less long-term effects, you would hope. And because of that, there have been a lot of people in the media, a lot of NFL people that are now starting the discussion, all right, now that we think Tua is healthy, we have to have a real conversation. Is Tua the best quarterback in this draft? A lot of scouts that I respect, um, even Bucky Brooks from NFL Network, another guy that is a huge, uh, I think a huge, uh, you know, kind of talent evaluator in the in the NFL uh, in terms of NFL draft prospects. Um, somebody that, you know, I think a lot of people look at as, you know, a competent talent evaluator. He had Tua Tungavailoa listed as his number one quarterback for this uh, upcoming NFL draft. Um even after all the things Joe Burrow did this season and to his injury. So uh, I guess for me, when now we're coming into up to the combine in a little over a week, EJ, is it, is it crazy to, for you or for the, all the people out there, which is not just one person like Bucky Brooks, but a lot of people, is it crazy for you to, to think that those people have uh, two as their, as their QB one right now? Or do you feel like there's a real conversation to be had? I mean, Tua is extremely, extremely accomplished. Um, when you do the things he did for, you know, two years in one game, if you count the National Championship game, right. there's a lot of great tape. There's a lot of great uh, footage to see. And the kid is, is a really good player. I don't see the case for him to be number one. I don't see it. I think that you talk about injury history. I think yes. you talk about the most recent tape I've seen on both guys talent comparable um teams comparable overall joe burrow is better than him right now now that doesn't mean that two won't be better at a certain point and i guess you're telling me oh but he's more i don't even know if you could say he's more mobile but if you want to make the case maybe he's a little more mobile i mean i would say he was but now I mean, well now he has a leg injury and he has a major hip injury yeah and and what's his mobility gonna look like 
And he's a guy that's shown that like he's having problems staying healthy. So do you even want him moving around? I, the, I like the way I, he has in his yeah two career. major ankle injuries and two ankle surgeries. I yeah, mean, and a major hip injury. Like a lot of people have been throwing out the Drew Brees comparison for Tua, and initially I was like, I mean, for me the guy is clearly more Russell Wilson than Drew Brees, mm-hmm. but. I, but then I had to step back and think, I mean, look, he's, he's come off a lot of injuries. I don't know what his mobility is going to look like. Yeah, he might not so end up being that kind be, of player. Yeah. yeah, he might be a pure pocket guy. And to me, if I'm recruiting, if I'm I mean, recruiting, if I'm evaluating Tua as a pocket passer like Breeze, that, and I still think that would be a really high grade. He's a good, he's a great pocket passer. But I don't think that if I'm grading him as that player, he's a, he, I don't think he's anywhere near Barrow, in right. my opinion. If you're talking about Tua, the full package, healthy, it's a conversation, but I think Burrow did too much this year for me to to, to say I'm gonna go with two. That's that's me. That's a, now, that's a flyer yeah. on a guy who has you know who who, who is even if he comes back and the, they say the medical is fine and it looks great, but he's a guy who has an injury history and he's shown that he is. I don't want. I hate the word brittle, so I'm trying to find something else. But he's just shown that like staying healthy and staying upright has been an issue, and he's not the biggest quarterback. Not to say that's all the end all be all, but some guys it's. A bigger issue than others. Some guys can be smaller and they stay healthy like Russell Wilson. Some guys smaller like RG3 and they don't stay healthy. Right now, Tua looks more like the latter than the former. And it'd be one thing if the conversation were, would you rather have Joe Burrow at one or Tua at ten? Yeah, exactly. Or even six. You know, you may not be able to get at ten, but Tua at six, would you rather trade down maybe collect the assets? Right. That's another conversation. Yes. Because now you're saying, all right, value for value, two at six, I'm getting a largely comparable quarterback. Maybe, like you said, the injury history, the maybe won't play from day one. Those are drawbacks. But I'm also now putting other people around them, and you know, I have a, a larger asset base. Exactly. But if you're saying drafting Tua at one over Joe Burrow, if that's what you're you're saying when you say you think Tua is better than Joe Burrow, I just, I just, I, I can't say that. Unless you're saying this is purely off the tape. This is purely what we saw from Tua at Alabama versus what we saw from Joe Burrow. But if you throw in the injury history, I just, I for me, I, if I find it unfathomable that you would draft Tua over Joe Burrow. I, like, again, I don't have the medical records, the medical, but even beyond whether or not the hip injury is going to heal, like you said, the ankle injuries, the, 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 the constant, you know, Getting banged up, that's not, I mean, after after a while, you have to worry about, all right, this guy's getting hurt like this in college. It's not going to, you would imagine, it's not going to all magically get better in the NFL. So, I don't know. I I, 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 lo- I love Tua. You know me. I, I had Tua as the number one guy for a long time. Even when people started to say, oh, this Joe Burrow kid, I, I thought people were crazy. I was like, this guy Tua, I mean, come on now. Like, but, I mean, you watch Joe Burrow more and... You you wait for him to mess up. You wait to pick apart his game, and he never messes up. At some point, you realize, all right, this kid's for real. And you and it's not like Tua did anything wrong, but when he gets hurt, you start to then draw back, and you start to step back and say, all right, this kid keeps getting hurt. Joe Burrow uh, never messes up. Uh, for me, it's 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 hard. I understand the drawbacks, and we'll have a video coming out on where Joe Burrow stacks up all time yeah. with quarterback prospects, um, whether or not he's a system quarterback or not, all those conversations. But uh, for me, I like 
I still haven't seen one person give me a legitimate argument against drafting Joe Burrow, other than he only he only did it for one year under Joe Brady. Which I mean, look, that's that's your thing, fine. But I mean, there's nothing on the tape that makes that suggests that he's not an elite prospect. Yeah, and, and I don't know. I, I I totally get it, but this idea that like. Burrow might find a better coach than Joe Brady in the NFL. Like, I also don't really believe that. Yeah, Joe Brady, <laughs> he was a, I mean, he might be an offensive savant, but he's getting a lot of his stuff from Sean Payton. Right, exactly. Like, he's going to, there are other great coaches that he could end up playing for that know more than Joe Brady. Joe Brady, again, was a, was kind of a, not a flash in the pan, but he just, he was out of nowhere. You know, he was like a phenomenon. And who's LSU say, fans are not happy that, uh, well, let's No, I'm saying, who's to say that he doesn't, come across another NFL coach who also understands his game well, is able to coach him up well, and yeah, having, having the talent that he has puts on another, uh, puts on to have another great long career. Like, it's, the, the Brady thing is starting to get a little ridiculous to me. A lot of LSU fans are upset that uh, they replaced Joe Brady with Scott Linehan at LSU. I would be too. That's a weird name because on one hand, I agree that I'm like, man, that's a retread. You know, you go from Joe Brady to Scott Linehan. Like, Scott Linehan is one of those names where I feel like I never know why he he's employed. Like in the job <laughs> that he has, I never know why he's there. But like we like, also have to remember. I can't point to like usually with each guy you can point to, y'all, he had this year as this coach and they did X. What was that year with Linehan as a coordinator or a head coach or anything? That's like, oh, this is why he's getting in the position he's gotten. He's coached a lot of places for no landmark years as a play caller, a head coach, a receivers coach, a line coach. Like, I've never seen, like, I'm still waiting for that moment where I say, well, man, he 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 was the orchestrator for the greatest show on turf. Man, him, his years with the Rams, that was one of the worst offensive football the Rams have had over the past few years. We we have to we have to remember at least in this case he's going to he's only the passing game coordinator for LSU so you're taking a guy that was a former NFL head coach been a successful NFL offensive coordinator now you're making him the passing game coordinator for a college on that level I I think it's not as negative as LSU fans are are making it but he's just not the the whiz kid guru. Joe Brady that they that they were hoping for. They not the Joe Brady two point oh. Um You know how I part, yeah, you know how I feel. Part. I feel like most NFL coaches you put them in the college and I think X and those wise they're at a complete they're just right. Their the advantage is, is big. So I, I, I don't think that they should just crush this Linehan hiring. I just Linehan himself I think is why I get it a little bit. It's just because of him I'm like before. why does this like Everybody keeps thinking this guy, and I'm sure like he has a great rotation. He's probably a hard worker. He probably knows the game. I know he knows the game. But the, there are no results to back up him continuing to get high-profile jobs. He, he, got, uh, he, he, was a, he was a Dallas Cowboys passing game coordinator when he was calling plays for them. And then they got rid of him. They, they, yeah. they relinquished his play-calling duties because they didn't like how he was calling the plays. Right. Like Now, I like... LSU fans also have to be concerned because they literally just did this with Les Miles when they got when they brought in Ken Cameron, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that was a situation where they also brought in a guy who was an NFL 
uh, guru, and that didn't do anything for them. But again, Cam Cameron, at least I can point to, oh, he was, you know, he was offensive coordinator for those charter teams. Drew Brees, Ladanian Thompson, then eventually Phil Rivers. Like, we saw those offenses put up mass monster. The name that I've Antonio heard. Antonio Gates. Like, I'm just saying, Linehan, and it's not just the LSU, it's every team he goes to. I'm like, what has he done that makes people so excited about Scott Linehan offense? I've never seen him put together a high-powered people, offense. Well, I've heard people be like, well, he coached Dak, he coached Des Bryant, he coached uh, Randy No, those guys reached their potential playing under Scott Linehan. Dante not Cole one of them. <laughs> not one of them. Am I you wrong? Know. Where's the, I mean, who's the guy? Right. Who's the guy that? Who's the player? Where's the offense? Who's the guy that put together this great season or put together this great career because they were being coached by Scott Linehan? That guy doesn't I mean, exist. I'd be upset if I was an LSU fan too. I I don't know what I, I feel like. Cole Pepper's numbers probably were good under Linehan. I that's that's just yeah. Me. Then he went on a. A love boat, and then we saw how that all <laughs> that worked not out. Go well. Um, we also got you know Mark Bulger, obviously Tony Romo, Tory Holt, JC Witten. Those are some of the guys that <laughs> that he coached. None of them guys had their best seasons yeah. with him coaching. Sometimes it doesn't matter, man. Sometimes, <laughs> I mean that that's the negative of right. You know, Nick Saban's going to bring that up, but you know, if you get Coach O in a room, say this guy. My thing is like, I don't know if a lot of those names are really drawing people. Like, I don't know if I'm a kid, if I'm if I'm Arch Manning, you know, and Scott Linehan says, yeah, I, I was coached by, you know, I coached Dante Culpepper. You know, like, I mean, I guess Tony Romo is a name that, especially now what he's doing on TV, but, you know, Randy Moss, obviously, but, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think if he says, oh, if I'm a wide receiver, he says, yeah, I coached Des Bryant. Like, I mean, all right. Des Bryant's a great player, but, I mean, he did coach Calvin Johnson as well. That helps, but. Um, and Matt Stafford, but I don't know. Like, we're not talking about, you know, an offensive guru here. So that was interesting. But overall, though, I think the Tua Joe Burrow stuff, very interesting. Um, I think we'll feel better. We'll have a better idea where this is going on, uh, where things stand post combine. We'll get to pro days and stuff. But as of right now, I would say it's a safe bet that Burrow will end up a Bengal, Tua will end up a Dolphin. But the Dolphins don't have the number three pick or the number two pick in the draft. So the Lions may want a quarterback. So we'll know more uh, come May. That we will. But that's a good place to wrap the show. So I hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. Of course, you can catch all of our shows on New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. You can catch us on YouTube, New Generation Media. As Kendall said, we have new videos up that are currently up now and there will be more videos up very shortly so make sure you keep your eye on that make sure you subscribe to our channel new generation media follow us on social media uh twitter uh twitter new generation pod on instagram new generation podcast and on facebook new generation media follow me on twitter ej underscore stewart and on instagram action ej thank you guys so much for listening in for kendall i'm ej peace